From 2002 to 2008, World Wrestling Entertainment produced the Ruthless Aggression Era. Ruthless Aggression! As a power vacuum formed in the wake of wrestling's biggest boom period, WWE producers and superstars alike worked to reinvigorate their company and recapture success and acclaim. In the process, a string of future Hall of Fame level talent rose to the top and enjoyed crossover appeal in the public consciousness. We're going to take a trip back in time and travel through this amazing period in WWE history. The matches, the storylines, the home media and more. Every triumph and every heartbreak. Whether you were watching as it all unfolded, or you're here to learn about this era for the first time, this series will have something for you. This is Ruthless Aggression Relived. Ruthless Aggression! Hello and welcome back sports fans, it's another episode of Ruthless Aggression Relived. I'm LT Fletcher and I'll be uh, calling the action each and every step of the way as I hold your hand through this journey of the World Wrestling Fed. Wait a second, it's mm. not the World Wrestling Federation at all! For tonight we have a name change and uh, joining me as we chronicle the first ever episode of World Wrestling Entertainment Raw, mm. is one of the hosts of the By God cast. It's Mr. Lewis Clark. Lewis, how are you doing, buddy? Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to cover this one. I, I was very privileged in a weird way. to, to this, this feels like the start for me of the Ruthless Aggression era, having, having it now sure. be WWE. No, no offense to, obviously, what you've covered before. No, and of course. It's good to have that context, but it definitely feels like, okay... This is Ruthless Aggression now. We've got the WWE brand in. We're, we're there. The new intro. You know. we're, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. Very slick presentation. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it feels like you know the last few pieces of the puzzle have fallen into place, and it's not that long before Vince gives that famous speech in which we kind of go, oh, okay, so that's that's this. Got this it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before uh, before we hop into it, I know uh, for the, for those of you that have recently joined us on the uh, Ruthless Aggression Relive Patreon, mm. uh, if if any, by the time <laughs> by the time <laughs> you listen, this might be none of you. Who knows? Um, uh, Lewis recently did an episode with me on there where we covered WWF Forcible Entry. We did, but yeah. For, uh, but for the fans that didn't catch that episode, do you want to just give a little quickie pricey of your uh, your likes sort of introduction to wrestling fandom again. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, you know, just so absolutely. On the same page. No, no, no. Of course, it makes perfect sense. And I did realize afterwards when I said that when I when I went through my uh, <laughs> my wrestling history, I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, that's why he asked me about my music <laughs> thing first because it would be stupid to say the same thing twice when we're recording twice in one week. Never mind. But yeah, so um, my wrestling history is basically I got into it via the uh, Attitude Era and watched it right up until WrestleMania 17 where. I decided, cool, that's that's it, we're done now. Um, that's now reached its inevitable <laughs> conclusion. Um, Stone Cold is a baddie, and I don't know if I want to watch that. Um, but yeah, I did jump back in sort of late 2000s and was watching when MVP and Batista and Jesse and Fester saw on the show. <laughs> um, and I remember Mr. Kennedy and um, Finley being on the roster as well. Um, World Wrestling Championship was mainly being held by Edge or Batista and 
the um, WWE Championship was mainly being held by Cena with the spin about at that time. Um, but yeah, very much enjoyed the show at that point. That's probably deep in the PG era at that point. But yeah, I was, I, I don't know what really sort of like made me jump back in at that point in particular, but like, um, mm. yeah, it was, it, I think it was just a, a longing for a bit of wrestling, to be honest with you. It had been so long since I actually watched any. And then I sort of ducked you, out. And, you can get out, but you can't get. Uh, you can't get out permanently. No, no, you always <laughs> jump in and back in. Like I say, I kind of, I kind of quit for a little bit after that. I think I probably watched until about twenty ten, eleven, um, and then I came back around WrestleMania thirty one, which was yeah. fantastic. <laughs> a great yeah. way of coming back into the show, to be honest. So yeah. yeah. Right then, but today we're going to head back in time, way, way before mm. the spinner belt WrestleMania thirty one. <laughs> oh, we can't even count that high. We've, yeah. we've not even had number nineteen yet. Mm. We are going, ladies and gentlemen, to May 6th, 2002, and Monday Night Raw, where we kick things off with a little bit of gardening. There's a yeah. sweet old lady. Uh, she's trimmed her hedge to look like the classic WWF logo. Mm. Uh, pulling out a chainsaw, she chops off the part of the logo representing the F, and deciding that's not enough, she pours fuel all over it and sets it alight with a match, leaving twigs in the shape of the company's new scratch logo wwe get the fuck out of here (laughs) um so this is the get the f out campaign quite quite a good campaign i i I agree completely i thought it was a really effective little thing i actually quite like the reveal with the twigs is like oh yeah Yeah. it's it's the current logo that's that's quite that's quite smart (laughs) i enjoyed that I liked the the explanation that uh, Bruce Pritchard eventually gave for this on his podcast. He was saying that like they did it to be kind of playful because it was like if you you know if you go it depends on how you say it. If you say get the f out, it's you know it upsets people. But yeah. if you say it with a kind of a friendly sort of voice, like get the f out, then yeah, it yeah. makes the adverts funnier. Absolutely, so, absolutely. No, no, and, and, and I there think there are it's... a couple of these, and they are they are quite amusing. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree completely. And and again, like it, I think it 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 suited the company sort of like era and like mm. at, at that time it was, it was still very much you know not pg but we were, were still kind of edgy and i mean well you know there's some there's some there's some women's stuff on this roster that, that <laughs> definitely gets that a little uh, that gets a, <laughs> reminds me a lot more of the late 90s than it does uh, mm. uh probably what we're more familiar with now but um yeah no um I, I i thought it was a really nice little promo actually i thought it was good but i did notice actually <laughs> Mm. Um, I don't know if they uh, were ready to to have to do the rebrand. It didn't feel like they were quite uh, ready to lose this one. I don't think they were gonna. Didn't I? Don't think Vince thought he was going to lose this. Uh, you know, lawsuit. Oh, no, essentially, he, he well thought he was winning that lawsuit. Yeah, um, be- because the main I- thing that really like came across to me was every time we cut back to Jim Ross and the King <laughs> on commentary. On. Yeah, he's still got the old WF shirt on, and I'm just like. Okay, <laughs> but this like, was obviously a hastily done thing. So yeah, yeah, it would have yeah. just been like I mean, all Jr. had to do was wear a shirt. Yeah, yeah. But no, he sat there with the old logo. <laughs> um, the, obviously, a because they haven't had anything embroidered yet. So yeah, yeah, they they haven't had a chance to to change it up yet. Which you know, whatever. I do you know what? I, it always confused me, and I. I I get it from a graphic design standpoint. I yeah, do. yeah. But it always confused me. They didn't just add a line on the bottom of the logo to turn the F into Agreed a. completely. Agreed because completely. Because now the logo just looks like the company's name is WW. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I always and, thought that. I've always thought that. Uh, like, I, don't get me wrong. I, I got used to the Scratch logo. I'm, I'm quite comfortable with it. Like, if yep, I see yep. it now, that for me is, that's the WWE logo. Yeah. The yeah. pristine 
clean version they have now yeah. hasn't ever truly sat right with me. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I never understood why it just says WWE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. It, it's such a simple fix, isn't it, to just add that extra yeah. line and have it in the E still. But yeah, they, never, they never must have done it, some yeah. mock-ups. Like, they, mu- they must have tried it and maybe it just looked like dog shit. <laughs> Who but, knows? But at the same time, I'm wondering if it was just a case of they weren't expecting to lose and they just mm. kind of had to hastily do it. Like, yeah. which makes more sense to me in my mind because especially yeah. after watching this, it's just a case of like, well, they haven't changed any of the existing branding mm. um, on the on, on the shirts and stuff that they're wearing. And again, I was quite surprised that, you know, this version on, on the network still heavily, you know, it uses the WWF. None of it's yeah. censored. Like, all the DVD releases at the time would always blur all the WWF yeah. logos out to hell. That, that, was one of the, that was one of the things that allowed them to do the network. The fact that, like, they, they were able to kind of renegotiate a, a new deal. with. I assumed there was, fun. like, a different, like, arrangement for streaming than yeah. there is for home video Because stuff, if yeah. they had to blur everything in the oh, Attitude Era God. Ruthless Aggression Era, it, it wouldn't have been financially worth the time. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But no, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, good little start. I enjoyed the little promo. Yeah, good fun. Yeah. So, uh, joined at ringside by Jerry the King Lawler, Jim Ross opens the show from the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut, mm. with the new name for the company, World Wrestling Entertainment, which didn't sit right with a few fans at the time, because yeah. I think they kind of knew which direction the company was going to head in with a, with a name like yeah, that. But yeah. uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you now, I think like there are still some people... And you see this on like Facebook groups and the comment section on YouTube and Twitter, which are mm. hellish places that nobody should visit. <laughs> but you'll get people that are like, oh, they should go back to being WWF, bring back World Wrestling Federation. And you're like, they've been WWE almost as long as they were WWF now. Yeah. There's yeah. no point changing it. And like the thing is, of course, the immediate second after they have been that company as long as they were the old name, then they will have been it longer. So like, yeah, give it a yeah. year and a half. They're going to have been WWE longer than they've been, I think, pretty much any name they've ever had. Yeah, no, I, I think WWE actually suits them a lot better, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think WWF sounds a little bit too, like... The old days. It's very sort of um, what's the federation's like, an odd word, really. Isn't yeah, it? It, it reminds me of like um, the territories days, essentially. That's mm. that's what it really brings back to mind to me. Yeah. And, and they're not that at this point in time, no. and they go on to become so you know so so drastically different to what that is. It's, it it is entertainment, and I think it is correct to brand it that way because I agree. Yeah, yeah. It just it, nobody's lying about this being you know like kayfabe or it's like yeah. there's 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 a there's an understanding that look if you're watching wrestling you know that this is choreographed you know that there are set outcomes but that's not why you're here you're here for the entertainment so it yeah, makes perfect it's sense a good old bit of fun, yeah, it, exactly exactly it makes perfect sense for it to be world wrestling entertainment in my mind i think that's yeah. absolutely correct personally i i would agree mm. so we learn uh not too long after the show kicks off. The main event is going to be Scott Hall, X-Park, and Big Show mm. versus Ric Flair, Bradshaw, and Stone Cold Steve Austin in a trios tag match. And up first to open the show and put a smile on the faces of the fans mm. is Trish Stratus, who yes. will be taking on Jazz, accompanied by Stephen Richards, mm. in a no-disqualification women's championship match. That's yeah. a lot. That's a hot opener. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of stipulations in play there, a lot, a lot of people moving about. Yeah. And it doesn't stop there. 
I, the only thing I wanted to say with this is that, like, um, really awesome booking to the opening match. I was mm. very excited to see Trish and, and Jazz go, go to town. Um, and it's so fast. Like, the action is so quick, Line immediately it. out the gate. Like, um, yeah, really good, like, chemistry between the two. There's a really strange botch at the start, though. Do you see, no, it's the sunset flip that Trish does. And it could, she kind of sort of, like, sits on jazz yeah it go, goes a little bit the wrong yeah. angle sort of yeah. which is like unfortunate but like nobody got hurt it's it's fine sure. it, i think it was just sort of like emotions running high a little bit like yeah, it was just like oh, wait. <laughs> messed that up a little bit but honestly I, I i was like yeah let's go let's go to town I'm, i was excited for this it's you know it, start, it starts off you know pretty standard kind of match trish yeah. is in control of things stevie distracts uh jazz absolutely belts Trish around, uh, out of the ring, mm. then chucks her around the ring like she's a tiny little baby child. Oof, yeah. Um, as such is such is Jazz's way. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's just how she communicates with oh. those lesser life forms. <laughs> and honestly, it's, it's fun. It's fun watching yeah, yeah. a woman who... Like she, in a way, she's kind of the female Brock Lesnar at this point. Mm, yeah, yeah. You can see she's not as, really not as massive, obviously, but you know she's this big bruiser, but she can go yeah, in the yeah. ring as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, to- to- definitely trained as a wrestler and not you oh, know God, a sports yeah. model prior like Trish was. There's a bit where she gives Trish a chicken wing face buster, and I genuinely thought she'd smash Trish's face in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's 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 a few moments throughout this card where people hit their face on the mat, <laughs> and I'm just like, well, there's a broken nose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but no, no, she took it well. Amazing, amazing yeah. spot. Uh, Trish nails the chick kick satisfaction combo mm. and almost gets the belt, but boo hiss. Stevie pulls the ref out of the ring, mm. slides in, and gives Trish a Stevie kick. Holy mother of fuck! Yeah, fucking hell. Uh, do you know what? Like, it was it was bizarre at first. I was like, "Oh, that's a bit of a fucking like." Hot mm. thing to do. I was just like, "Whoa, I don't know how I feel about that." But at the same time, I was like, "No, fuck, hell yeah!" Like intergender stuff. That's cool. Yeah, um, true. No, no, I was, I was super into it, and I'm, and I was amazed that, like, honestly, she was willing to take the, take the, take the bump because it was a big one. It was, it was a good old kick. Mm. It, it almost had to happen as soon as they made it clear it was a no disqualification match. You knew Stevie was. Yeah, involved. because bizarrely, like the women don't really do anything that I would say required a no dq no. stipulation it, it's no, main, not at all. it's mainly there for what happens after the match isn't it mm. <laughs> yeah so jazz covers trish off of the stevie kick and retains the title at three minutes and 12 seconds yeah not quick, another not, not a quickie match, match. <laughs> yeah. but here comes bubba ray dudley with a mm. referee to beat the dog fuck out of stevie and he gives jazz <laughs> a piece as well yep yep um bubba gets a table mm. brings it into the ring uh, Stevie throws another Stevie kick at Bubba, who blocks it, hits a Bubba bomb, and pins him oh, for the hardcore title. Hooray! That Bubba bomb, so beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Jazz then goes to attack Bubba, mm. but he sees her come in. He doesn't, however, see Raven come in, <laughs> turns into a gorgeous even flow, yep. uh, which allows Raven to pick up the belt. <laughs> but then here comes Justin Credible, who super kicks Raven, and he wins the belt. And yep. then Crash arrives and jumps off the top rope with a missile drop kick to Credible, and that beats him for the belt. And then Bubba <laughs> twats Crash in the head. And then the best bit is the punchline is Trish crawls on top of Crash and she wins the hardcore title. <laughs> and then like he kind of goes a little bit sideways then because Bubba is like Bubba's Bubba, you know he yeah. he has a he he has a long established history of power bombing women, including yes. Trish. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So he's he's ready to to hurt Trish. You know, he grabs her by the hair because he's a fucking lunatic. Jazz yep. hits the ring with a fire extinguisher. Yep. Trish ducks, so Bubba gets 
sprayed in the eyes. Yep, yep. He's blinded that and power bombs the absolute fuck out of Trish through the table. Oh. She takes it like a fucking champion. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bubba stumbles around blindly. Stevie slides in, covers Trish, takes back the hardcore championship, and off he flees with Jazz. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bubba oh. cleans his eyes out with some water the ref gives him. Yep, yep. And then, like, because they, I think because the writers remembered, oh shit, he's meant to be a baby face, <laughs> he has this moment where he actually feels remorse for putting Trish through the table. So yeah, he yeah. Picks, he picks her up and carries her to the back. Carries away, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, I thought this was extremely silly, but an awful lot of fun. Um, oh, God, wasn't it just? Like, I mean, this was what the fans needed to to pick them up and like put them in the right frame yeah. of mind. Like, J- like, JR keeps saying the same phrase throughout the night, new name, same attitude. And I think this was probably the best way of showing the fans, look, we've changed the name, it's still us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, no, I, I agree completely. I think that's a really good way of doing it. But the thing for me with this is just, it reminds me of how much I love the 24-7 stipulation. Because mm. it's just, you can get moments like this where it's just like, it's overbooked as fuck, but it's oh, really gotcha. fun. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. I was laughing the whole time. It's just, oh, what a great like time it was. The only it's thing that mad. was a little bit sad was... Bubba calling for the tables by himself. <laughs> yeah, Bubba get the table. <laughs> yeah, that's just like mm, grim. Doesn't quite work, does it? Um, but no. yeah, um, but yeah, no. I, I I thought this was a really hot opening to the to the show. Actually, mm. I was having a good time. Crowd really into this. As one. as much as the the actual women's match itself was a bit short, I it it serviced what they wanted to do afterwards. Yes, um, it's a house show, so it's never going to be. You're never going to have big like championship changes. On a house show, mm. it was it was obvious that Jazz was kind of walk, going to walk away, and the and the feud was con- were going to continue. Absolutely, but they st- they still told an interesting story, and it and it and I'm glad it continues because I I will happily watch Trish versus Jazz again. You know, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, and I mean as we said on the show prior to this point, Trish is she's not quite fully cooked yet. She's not quite ready to come out of the oven of being yeah. a wrestler, but you can see her piecing together that iconic Trish Stratus style. Oh, absolutely. Really and and she now. takes all the, the, the sickest bumps in this. <laughs> Doesn't she just? Yeah, she yeah. gets beaten to absolute hell and back by absolutely. two, you know, established, like, hard nut ECW wrestlers. Yeah, God almighty. Yeah, no, absolutely. I saw, a, I saw an interview clip from Stacey Keebler um, the other day yeah. where she's on about and, you know, there's something that happened on, uh, I believe, our first episode, mm. where Bubba and Devon put her through a table. Yeah. And she was saying, like, she still ha- <laughs> she thinks she has neck problems stemming from that now, so Bubba doesn't Oof. go soft on you just because yeah, yeah. you're a woman. <laughs> Which, you know, whatever, I guess. But I blame Mae Young, who infamously told Bubba, <laughs> told give it to me, it give it me, <laughs> do, it, do it fucking full on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Mae Young is an anomaly, though. She's the hardest <laughs> bastard who ever lived. Yeah, so true that, go. true that. Love that woman, mm. God bless her. Rest in peace. <laughs> Backstage, X Park Hall and Big Show are here, and X Park still looks a right bell end in Kane's mask. <laughs> yeah, so I needed a bit of context for this. I don't know why X Park has Kane's mask. Uh, basically, the uh, the NWO jumped Kane uh, after a match, and right. X Park stole the match. Kane was hospitalized. I think he might have had an actual shoulder injury at this time. Okay. Um, so this was kind of just a way to write him off and, and you know give him a chance to to come back later on, fully okay. Uh, okay. fully recovered. Um, and does he come? And does he come back? 
masked or does he come back unmasked? He comes back with the mask. I believe it's the uh, the one with his mouth open when he comes right. back. Right. Okay. Okay. So um, we have a bit of a because uh, my, like my my theory is like after years of wearing the original mask, he was probably like fucking hell, lads. I'd like to be able to breathe when I wrestle. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't no, imagine agreed. it's comfortable to work in. So no. yeah, he come I, obviously like two thousand two. Is definitely the year in which he has the the chinless mask, so right, okay. I think that yep. that allowed him to do that. But like I say, it puts a bit of heat on X Pac as well, because no, of course, everybody absolutely. hates X Pac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It always, always like in in hindsight, it's really weird to think about how much we all hated X Pac because mm. he's such a dab hand. <laughs> he's <laughs> like he's great. he's fucking excellent to watch, and then it's just I, like, why did we yeah, hate I, him? <laughs> amazing character. Now, like as, as yeah. a kid, God, I wanted to strangle him. Yeah, same, absolutely. But as an adult, I'm like his character's amazingly entertaining. Yeah, in ring yep. work is some of the best you're going to get all yeah, night. Yeah. What a performer! And I think yeah. it's only really now that most of us are actually coming around to realize actually, you know what, Sean Waltman, bloody good wrestler. Yeah, yeah, no, completely. So, well, well deserved spot in the old Hall of Fame there. Mm-hmm. Agrees. Uh, so the NWO hit the ring, and Big Show. That big nasty bastard has the production crew replay the footage of him turning on Stone Cold two weeks ago when yep. Show joined the NWO. Uh, he says two years ago he was in the main event of WrestleMania, Big Show. Uh, but at this year's show, he was stuck at the uh, well, the former WWF New York. It's uh, now, of course, been renamed as well. That's now The World. Right. Uh, show figured the difference was two years ago, Austin was out with an injury. Mm. So taking him out makes sense. Heel logic, I guess, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, weren't in the main event of WrestleMania 17 either, were you, mate? So, you know, um, show says he's pissed off and there's nothing anyone can do about it. So out comes Ric Flair. Yep. Flair says he never whined and cried like Big Show, and he became a 16-time world champion because he went out and worked. Which is a load he... of bollocks. <laughs> yes! <laughs> because yeah. he won those titles through the dirtiest of means. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, such, is, such is the nature. Uh, Flair brings up missing X-Pac's uh, foot on the rope the previous week uh, yep. when he was the guest referee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, we, there's this really funny little visual moment. X-Pac starts mouthing off, like my, you know, miming to Flair, and yeah. He's obviously not realised that his face is covered by the mask, so Flair's got nowhere knowing what the hell he's saying anyway. Uh, Flair reiterates what the main event will be, but Hall says the NWO have a surprise for Flair and everyone in attendance that will happen in the ring and change the history of the company forever. What could it be? Yeah, no. Uh, I I enjoyed this. Um, I thought it was a bit weird that, like, yeah, Ric Flair comes out to basically just re-announce the main event. (laughs) (laughs) They've already had the big video screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, but but it gives Scott Hall a good moment where he's saying, like, you know, that's your news, that's your surprise, you know, like, and I was like, yeah, yeah. The shit we already knew. (laughs) It just validates, you know, the heels believe in why they're right, you know. I thought, okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Absolutely. Um, And I will never, never not love Ric Flair's incoherent accent. (laughs) (laughs) Tonight, the role of Ric Flair will be played by the Tasmanian Devil. (laughs) I love it. I love it, man. Uh, It is just, yeah, it's good fun. Like, again, crowd's really hot. God, like that shot of like Flair on the ramp with the crowd behind him, and they're just going ballistic. Really cool stuff. Love it. Love to see it. Uh, so then, next up, we have a European Championship match mm. as William Regal challenges Spike Dudley. God Almighty, the UK pay per view was canon. Yeah, yeah. God Almighty. Yeah, I, I was like, that's awesome. They're actually making you know reference to yeah. Insurrection. It's not completely just like 
what if scenario? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we, I love this. We get a little uh, little footage for interaction, including a shot of the Houses of Parliament. Yeah. JR repeats the phrase, hey kids, Big Ben. <laughs> um, addendum to last episode, because I didn't know this, apparently that's from National Lampoon. I thought JR was just talking uh, bullshit. Okay, cool. So we get a little recap of Regal and Spike's match. Uh, jump into our archives if you want a, a more in-depth look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so obviously we've got Spike's uh, ankle injury is playing into this. Um, out he comes, hobbling away on the old sprained ankle there. Yep. Regal gets on the mic, compliments Spike's courage, very mockingly yep. as a heel, uh, and he offers Spike the chance to relinquish the title. Uh, and then calls him a shite hawk again, which is great. <laughs> I did wonder uh, why he called him there, because I was like, <laughs> he puts some weird emphasis on it, and I'm like, did he call him a shite hawk? And I look, I turned on <laughs> the did. captions, and it says that he, it says, he says, it, uh, the captions read psycho. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, it completely misconstrues it. Um, That's ridiculous. I guess it's because it's an American... Obviously yeah, working on they, it, and they wouldn't just like, which, yeah. which, to be fair, is how Regal got away with a lot of the things that he said. Yeah, yeah, agrees. There, there, were, there was one particular uh, un- unfortunate comment that he made on an episode coming up in a year or so's time, which uh, the censors at Sky noticed and cut out, but the Americans did not, which I Excellent. thought was very funny. Love it. Uh, so uh, Spike says, you know, admittedly, forfeiting the title probably would be the smart thing. And then punches Regal in the head, so the match begins! Yep. Regal, of course, targets the ankle. Um, it's a matter of seconds. 38 yeah. seconds, he applies this submission hold. Spike taps out. Regal earns the European Championship, which, incidentally, hasn't been repressed with the new logo yet. Ah, yes. Again, a little bit rushed, his business reband- mm, rebranding, well, yeah, isn't it? Just mm. a touch. Yeah. Regal jumps on the mic again, declares himself the greatest European champion of all time, Yeah. Uh, and then chases after Spike and hammers his ankle again. Mm. Gets him back in the ring, puts him back in the submission hold, Spike's crying out in, play- in pain, but here comes D'Lo Brown! Yeah, God, this was a shock. I was like, What's excellent, D'Lo on the bloody roster. So D'Lo hits Regal with the sky high, and Regal... Oh. Practically fucking no sells it and just flees. <laughs> <laughs> I just completely kills Delo's finisher, but all right. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame because that's at a beautiful sky expertly move. performed. Mm. Mm. So yeah, Delo's back, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really happy to see Delo. I love Delo. I think he is one of those wrestlers who is just so good, so talented, so brilliant on the mic. He's just got it all and was just handed an absolutely just horrendous shit sandwich <laughs> throughout his career yeah. unfortunately yeah i i think it's been reasonably well documented certainly i know they've covered it on uh, the attitude era podcast yeah you know do please go check them out mm. uh Dilo was a friend of vince russo the former head writer of wwf yeah. as it was and when russo was on the outs uh his friends were generally pushed to one side and Dilo yeah. was one of the ones that Eight shit the worst on that one, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a real shame. It's a real shame. I, I do wonder if it's a little bit a case of, like, D'Lo covers very similar ground to The Rock, and mm. I do wonder if that was the only way they could book him. So it's like, well, we've already got The Rock, why would we book someone as strong? <laughs> exactly, um, sure. Which is a shame, because it's 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 two different people. It's two different... They're offering two completely different things. I, and, I would be yeah, inclined to agree, yes. Yeah, but I, I I imagine that was probably their justification for it, but it's it's not right. <laughs> no. Yeah. Backstage then, mm. Ric Flair tells Arn Anderson he's going to find out what the NWO surprise is. Yeah. And he's going to head to their dressing room, and Arn says, okay. 
<laughs> so initially, I was like, okay, well, Arn Anderson's going to be doing something horrible later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but no. <laughs> as, as it turns out, he is simply here. For yeah, this, he's... he was paid $30,000. <laughs> he's just hanging around. Okay, yeah. fair enough. That's fine. Just being a WCW man. <laughs> yeah. We then get uh, pre recorded footage from earlier in the day where Booker T arrived at the nearby 7 Eleven, hoping <laughs> to I love hide this. from Goldust. Yep. Uh, he was also surreptitiously advi- uh, advertising the uh, Slurpee cups that the company were promoting. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed all that, like looking for his one in yeah, particular. Because, yeah. of course, there wasn't a couple yeah. of Booker T, <laughs> which was which is great. And then squaring off with the RVD standee. <laughs> it's just very silly. I enjoyed this a lot. So he, he gets a Slurpee, heads to pay for it, and there he finds Goldust waiting for him in what the bizarre one calls an elaborate disguise. <laughs> a ba- uh, basketball jersey and a cap over his wrestling gear. I enjoyed Goldust in his civvies. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like the idea that he just wears that day to day, just with the face paint and everything, just wanders yeah. around dressed as Goldust. Yeah. Uh, Goldust has a hot dog as well. Yeah. Oh, the mustard slathered on that bad boy. <laughs> uh, he apologises for the uh, events of the previous week, uh, in which he accidentally cost Booker uh, his match. Yep. He tries to win Booker back over to being a team, but Booker isn't having any of it. Goldust asks if he can have some of Booker's Slurpee, and in return, he'll let Booker have a bite of his wiener. Boo! <laughs> it was 2002. Yeah. Uh, so incensed, Booker simply leaves without paying for his drink, the thieving <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I'm glad you picked up on that as well. I was just like, oh yeah, yeah he didn't even bloody go to the till. Um... <laughs> Triple H was right about that trouble course, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, it was a bit of fun. Like, don't get me wrong, like, it was a bit of fun, but it does get a little bit war- ruined by the I mean heavily suggestive and it wasn't homophobic in as much as they didn't say it as much but like you know you could clearly tell it was like okay we're still doing the is gold dust gay thing and it's just a bit like Come on, lads. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Move it's on. been a good that, old while. I think yeah, it, a long old while at this point. Yeah. God. So, yeah. No, I, but other than that, I, I was enjoying Booker T. He, he, he's the real star of this segment, to he be honest. Is. He's great. I, I, have a, I have a lot of fun memories of this duo. We're going to get a lot more of them. I'm very happy oh, to, wicked. to realize. They're so much fun. Oh, um, I mean. Like, like the, one of the, one of the, the great odd couple tag teams no no completely but that, again it just goes to show you know you put two top talent together and uh, if they've got enough creativity and then they'll make something work and absolutely. they're absolutely making this work so yeah gotcha we get a recap of the insurrection tag match featuring the hardys versus brock and that silly bastard sean stasiak mm. uh brock is then seen backstage doing pull-ups and generally being really scary yeah <laughs> uh we then cut to rick flair Arriving in the NWO locker room, mm. he throws their shit around like a bit of a knob, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> no, no need for that. Really. That's just <laughs> yeah. disrespectful, to be honest. Uh, he finds an APA hat in the dressing room yep. and leaves. Mm. Undertaker, elsewhere in the arena, arrives on his motorbike. He tells a nearby security guard to watch his bike, saying he won't be gone long. And in yep. the background, the NWO are seen talking. Ooh. Yes. So yeah, a little uh, little trio of backstage segments here. Not, yeah. not much. I mean, this is kind of set up for later in the night. For yeah, absolutely. And I, and again, this. I assumed it was all foreshadowing. I yes. I, I think you're you're all supposed to think, oh, okay, Bradshaw's going to turn on them mm. um, when they find the APA hat. Um, you're assuming that NWO are, are going to have some 
dealings backstage doing some, I don't know, nefarious deed. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're hanging around in the back of the Undertaker entrance thing. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not quite coming together at the moment. They're just obviously no. laying, laying the groundwork and it's like, Absolutely. okay, we'll, we'll keep you guessing. I actually thought this was quite a good set up actually because mm. none of it played out the way I thought it was which is um, again I thought it was pretty smart actually they, 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 they're they laying these breadcrumb trails down but they don't Absolutely. lead the way you, you think they're going to which I thought was no. really quite smart <laughs> up next then we have singles action as Sean Stasiak takes on Brock Lesnar Brock has a new theme and guess what lads it's still shit yeah oh god is it bad I, I, that was the first note of my thing Lesnar's theme <laughs> is so bad at this point <laughs> we now have construction noises to start things off because what could be less annoying than that mm, yeah god. Uh, King and JR remind us that signups are now open for Tough Enough 3 yeah and King <laughs> god this was a mess this conversation King says we could become the next WWF superstar if we head to toughenough3.com come on JR King <laughs> gently corrects him and tells him we could become the next WWE superstar if mm. we head to toughenough3.com yeah the address on screen actually just says toughenough.com. There is no three, but never mind. <laughs> so both of them fuck that one. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense if you're going to do it every year, right? You know, you've got to keep that domain running. Absolutely. So it makes perfect so, sense to me. Um, I, 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 I did think it was kind of funny how King was the one that like tripped up and he was like, ah, old habits die hard, never mind. <laughs> you know, it was fair. They, they were going to trip up eventually. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, it, in a way, it's remarkable that they don't do it more frequently. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a fair point actually. They're pretty again, like they're they're professionals, right? They've been on this sure. show for God knows how long now. They bounce off each other so well. Yeah. It, you know, they obviously listen to their cues very well. It's, yeah. it's I I think it, to honestly, if you hadn't pointed it out, I would have just thought that it was a bit of a back and forth so mm. that they could reiterate it is WWE now not sure. WWF it, oh, it, I mean it, it absolutely came off that way like, yeah, you yeah. Know, it's, it, there, there's no sort of like like King doesn't panic and scrabble like oh shit no I didn't mean to say that like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, played yeah. off as kind of funny like you know, it probably was a genuine mistake yeah yeah but no honestly I think they, 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 they cover for it very well and again yeah. you know they, they hit the message home it makes perfect sense to me so yeah, yeah. Good, good work as far as I'm concerned so this match starts with Stasiak attempting to jump Brock with predictable results, earning him the usual friendly Brock Lesnar treatment. Yep. Brock tosses Sean about like he's nothing. I know, and he's such chant, a big dude as well. Oh, gotcha. The crowd chant Goldberg, and to that I say absolutely fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Like, the crowd are working heel tonight, big time. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, yeah, I mean, like in the opening match as well, they were all doing the We Want Poppies chant and stuff, and mm. it's just like, oh, fuck off. Let them wrestle, for Christ's sake. <laughs> it's not the time for that. There's a fucking time yeah. for that on this card. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like... Yeah, I, again, it was just like, oh, leave it out. There's, none, there's no need for that. Sean Stasiak is such a weird-looking dude, though. <laughs> He's a very strange fellow. Um, I mean, to, to be fair, the lunatic gimmick does suit a guy that looks as strange as that. So, well, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, I mean, the haircut in particular is like... <laughs> it adds, adds to the effect. The cherry on top, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's no, the definitely. wild eyes, yeah. Oh, no, completely, completely. Yeah, just instantly I was like, I don't think I've actually seen Sean Stasiak. So this was quite a, 
Ooh, okay, this is an interesting-looking individual. Mm. He looks and like he's come from fair, a different time. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, after this match, I'm still not certain that we have seen it because he, he doesn't get a great deal of offense. Yeah, it's, 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 it's your typical Brock Lesnar squash, isn't it? Yeah, it, It's the Brock Lesnar highlight reel. Spinebuster, backbreaker, power slam, the as-yet-unnamed spinning finishing move. Yes, um, which is clearly Brock, an F5. Yeah. Of course. And then Brock <laughs> simply stands on Sean's chest gently, Picks up the three and the win at 2.08. Mm. Uh, to be honest, for the most part, aside from that Goldberg chant, I kind of thought the crowd were a bit dead for this one. I think because yeah. they knew Stacey oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. wasn't winning, and also they don't like him enough to get behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. This, this was a means to an end. It's like, okay, sure. we need to put Brock over as the monster heel, um, or just a monster, and you Absolutely, know, yeah. someone has to be squashed in order for that to happen, basically. it's It's kind of... It's one of those things where when you're introducing a character like Brock, you do need sort of these matches to establish him, but if you're not careful with who you're pairing with, the fans can get a bit bored of it. Yeah, Although, admittedly, yeah. for me, I like seeing Brock Lesnar toss people around like a tiny little baby oh, yeah, child. Yeah. So. Look, the, the good thing about it being a squash match is it was over quickly. So yeah. Absolutely. If you were getting bored in this, then, God, your attention span is very, very, sure? very wrong. Um, um, it, I will say, though, for the purpose of the listeners, it doesn't take them long for them to start giving Brock a little bit more. It's only yeah. going to be... We, we are From this point, we're only two pay-per-views away before he is, like, a main dude, basically. So. Right. Cool, cool. Now I'm it's into that. It's all good. Um, there's um, one other thing I wanted to mention of this. I really sure. like uh, Heyman on the side going, Do not pin him! Hurt him! <laughs> <laughs> Make an example of him! <laughs> really good. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, Heyman's he, great. Oh, just Anything great that Paul Heyman's involved with is just... <laughs> fantastic to this day to this day the man has so much passion and energy in him it's excellent i love it incredible backstage undertaker walks menacingly (laughs) he returns to the spot that he arrived at and finds his bike is gone uh the guard tells him that hogan took the bike hulk hogan that thieving bastard uh showing restraint taker actually lets the guard go and he just silently fumes this was weird i didn't quite click that Taker had seen that his bike was gone. It just looked <laughs> like Taker wandered up to the security guard and gone, Oi, who took my bike? And it's like, hang on a minute, did we miss something? Because <laughs> it didn't really come across that way. The thing that confuses me is he showed up and he was like, I won't be long. And then he came back to his bike, evidently attempting to leave. But it's like, right, that okay. match was two minutes and eight, Taker. What were you doing in that time? Yeah, yeah, it, it <laughs> Why just, are you here? <laughs> it, that just didn't click with me for whatever reason. I just like, mm. I, I feel like I missed something there. Maybe it would have helped to show that or just have a little yeah. bit more commentary to, to understand, so we understood what was going on. But yeah, it didn't didn't quite work, unfortunately for me. But yeah. So we get a little recap of Undertaker bloodying Hogan the previous week. Make Ooh. me travel to shitty England, will you, Hogan? <laughs> Hogan, Hogan not fancying the old uh, the old plane trip there. Taker in the, uh, the main event, of course. Yep. Um, Undertaker's music hits in the arena and we hear a bike revving out. But out comes Hollywood Hulk Hogan. There he is. Who rides the bike around the ring with the slow trepidation of a toddler on a tricycle with a dodgy <laughs> wheel. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I am delighted, by the way, and you know we we've discussed this on um, the Patreon episode. I am delighted that Roland survives the edits on the network because this oh, would yeah. be half as funny with their replacement. Track. Yeah, no, no, no. All all the music survives the edit because even we even yeah. get Union Underground on the uh, on the theme as well. So like, yes. yeah, no, I was um, yeah, no, I was really oh oh excellent. It's this is this is the show as I remember. Yeah. You know, like actually, so they 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 don't want to pay the Jimi Hendrix estate for Hogan's theme, but they'll, they'll <laughs> pay Fred Durst and quite right too. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. Worth no, no, every it was. Penny. This, this is this is a fun, fun segment. Um, the it's crowd mad. again, extremely hot for Hogan at the moment. Oh, um, sustained pop again. And again, I, I, I was like, look, look, I'm not gonna make you know. I have to. We have to say as well, like our feelings on Hogan now, absolute piece of shit. What mm-hmm. a horrible person. But at this time, at this point, and as a performer. He's firing on all cylinders. On, on all yeah. cylinders, looks amazing. Looks absolutely incredible for his age at this point. Oh god, um, he is jacked for yeah, a guy of his age. Yeah, he absolutely looks incredible. Um, I again, I I was really expecting him to come out looking super tired, not have the the speed or the energy that you expect from you know classic Hogan. But he looks a million bucks. So uh, yeah, I can I can see exactly why the crowd were just like, hell yeah, our boy is here. They're into it. Yeah. Yeah. So Hogan grabs the mic. He tells Undertaker that he's changed since the last time they were in the ring together, presumably, you know, meaning that he won't bitch and cry about losing afterwards. <laughs> uh, Hogan says if Taker wants the bike so badly, he'll have to come out and take it from him. Mm. So Taker answers the call, microphone in hand, standing at the top of the, the stage. His mic doesn't have any branding on it, though, because he's not a corporate shill, man. <laughs> uh, Taker says he knows Hogan is a biker, too, so Hogan understands you don't touch another man's motorcycle. Mm. Uh, he says he's already planning on giving Hogan the beating of a lifetime at Judgment Day and reminds Hogan of how he's brutalised people for mistreating his bike in the past so he gives him one opportunity to leave the bike and walk away blah 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 blah, blah, blah. The <laughs> and kick his teeth blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> so Hogan I, cuts him off doing I thought this was child. great so work funny. from Hogan it is it, it is stupid, but like at the same time, it was like exactly what the crowd wanted to hear. Yeah. I I enjoy the Undertaker being called a bitch for some reason. That's great. <laughs> he put a capital B on that bitch. Yeah, as well. yeah. It, do you know what? It is fun seeing Undertaker on the back foot. Like that's mm. not the way he's booked normally. So it's no, just it, like it's, it's fun. Yeah, I really really enjoyed seeing this. Oh, you know what would have been more fun though. Oh yeah! If the uh, arse of this segment didn't fall out of itself, <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Hogan, Hogan says he'll bring the bike to Undertaker and prepares to chase Taker out of the arena on it, and then the fucking engine cuts out. Yeah, he repeatedly stalls it trying to get up the ramp. Oh god, he revs it to absolute fuck, and he can't get it to move. And I like, I die of secondhand embarrassment at this stage. Oh, Taker, it's... Taker simply leaves. He's like, ah, blah, like waves yeah. his arm like a pantomime villain and walks away. Hogan gets off the bike and follows on foot. Oh god, it's so awkward. It is. And then we cut to JR and King. And then you can hear him start the bike up again (laughs) and they come back to him to show him going up the ramp, still struggling to get it all the way up. It is so awkward. Why wouldn't you edit this? It's so awkward. It's really funny though, for the wrong reasons. (laughs) The the cracker of it is though, Hogan, like we cut backstage 
and Hogan sort of like gently pootling along on the hog, sedately <laughs> yeah. driving it through catering. Undertaker nowhere to be seen. Yeah. The implication thus, Undertaker, not exactly known for his high walking speed, <laughs> managed to evade Hulk Hogan on a motorbike by briskly jogging away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Hogan at one point turns the bike round and almost drives it into a wall. Oh god, yeah. He gets some, he gets dangerously close <laughs> to a lot of the backstage materials. <laughs> yeah, god. Uh, and then, oh, the the climax, the crescendo. Mm. He decides to go to take her a little bit further. Um, he parks up the bike in front of a nearby 18-wheeler truck used yep. by the road crew. Mm. Hogan hops into the cab of the truck, and I, I'm not certain that he has a license to do that, but never mind. <laughs> he revs the absolute shit out of the engine. We yep. cut to the ad break. We come back from the ad break, and <laughs> still he's still revving <laughs> <laughs> and then he just like he he's been you know the he's trying to go take her into showing himself, but Taker's not biting. Hogan yep. just runs over the bike, and it's a fairly impressive little stunt. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, well done. I, I think it was well executed. I, uh, I couldn't see the seams on it. I'll be I, I'll be honest. I I doubt they let Hogan actually do it because there is a chance he would have just driven through the wall. <laughs> so they probably had an actual yeah, guy doing yeah. it. Yeah, I, I certainly I'm, couldn't see the seams on the edit then. Yeah, unless they unless they rehearsed it prior. I don't know how these things True. work. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um then Hogan uh runs away, roaring <laughs> Undertaker's name. Yeah, yeah. Which insane sequence <laughs> of events. <laughs> In wow. it just but like isn't this feud hot man i was like oh, whoa God, yeah, the yeah, are yeah. Into it. I, I was like yeah yeah I, I will tune in for the for the next pay-per-view to watch <laughs> these two right. go, go to town can't wait to see undertaker murder this man <laughs> absolutely no no i was i was impressed and again like yeah they did actually have to destroy a very expensive custom bike mm. <laughs> so i'm just mm. like that, oh, was, yeah. that was not a cheap shitty little rental that no, was no, a no, proper no. i mean i'm not a I'm not a motorbike enthusiast myself, but you can tell looking like that was a, a, a nice bike. Oh, God. Bike, yeah. Some of these customs, man, can just ex- enormously expensive things. If, you, if you've ever watched an episode of American Chopper, you'll you'll know exactly how mm. like crazy these things get. But no, honestly, I, I was like really into this segment. It was really fun. Um, I thought it was a bit odd that they censored um, Hogan calling a Taker a son of a bitch all while he was backstage, but not while he was out on the on the in the ring. That was a bit strange. Weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't understand why that... Maybe because it was just a pre-recorded segment that they edited in Asleep at the switch, maybe, Kevin Dunn. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, God. Um, But no, really fun, super hot. Like, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I want to see Taker and Hogan go at it. That's that's exactly what you need to do on the build-up for a pay-per-view. I think that's excellent. Mm. No, I'm I'm hyped up. Mm. And I have to say, (laughs) to to any of our listeners that uh, follow uh, our... Friendly, uh, friendly neighborhood podcast, uh, the Deadlock podcast. They've mm. recently covered uh, the following week's Raw, and oh, it doesn't get much more insane than what happens next. Excellent. So up next, we got tag team action. We've got Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy versus Booker T and Eddie Guerrero. And I yes. gotta say, yes, yes, that combination <laughs> of wrestlers, absolutely, I think you put them in any constellation and get an excellent match. Oh, mate, isn't it? Just like I was, they they were coming out, and I'm just like, well, this is just going to be match of the night, like <laughs> yeah, clearly, yeah, clearly. 
Oh. Uh, JR also confirms that RVD will be challenging for Eddie's Intercontinental Championship at Judgment Day, making it the third consecutive pay-per-view uh, bout they'll have had against one another. Oh no, how will I sit through that for a third oh, time? Oh, what a I shame. I guess I'll just have to find a way to struggle <laughs> on regardless. I hate watching two of the greatest wrestlers of all time go at it for a third time. <laughs> I <know, God, laughs> freaking hate when that happens to <laughs> So, uh, interesting little uh, visual note for this one. The faces and heels are in the opposite corner to usual. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I, d- I didn't even spot that. Because ordinarily the faces are in the uh, the left-hand side um, facing the hard camera, because obviously you want them to appeal to the camera. So uh, they switched mm. for whatever reason. Who knows? Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we start off with Eddie and RVD doing some lovely chain wrestling, and I could probably watch oh. the two of them do that for about 20 minutes. Yep. Then RVD gives Eddie an electric chair face buster, oh. which results in Eddie doing the like the escape on the knees thing to tag in Bucker, which is a great spot of comedy. Oh, absolutely beautiful stuff! I love that. Mm. And 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 again, like just brilliant character work from Eddie, just to be like, oh, Ooh, get out of here! <laughs> I love that. That was good fun. He's like just seamless. Everything yeah. he does. He just he can flip the switch from. Angry villain to comedic chicken, yeah. Whenever, yeah. whenever needed. Um, so Booker gets it. I tell you what, the fans do not seem like well they want to boo Booker. Mm, no, no, not the, at all. Uh, the the slow face turn is working. No, definitely, um, definitely. And like you know, they they pop for all the right moments. He he, he signals mm. for the Spinneroonie and stuff, and they all go nuts. <laughs> mm. uh, what do you think about the Spinneroonie, by the way? I love the spinner. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. I, a, I, a, I, con- a controversial, a divisive. Marmite of a move, I know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still don't know how I feel about it. Like, it is fun, right? Like, I don't don't get me wrong. Like, sure. um, but it is one of those things where it's like, why would you stop fighting to break dance in the middle <laughs> of a match? It. I was watching him. I was watching him like because he he nails the scissors kick on uh, on Jeff. Oh, beautiful. Um, and then he does the spinneroonie, and like the fans are into it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, totally. then he goes for the cover afterwards. And I'm like, Buck, you could have won this. Yeah, yeah, that's the <laughs> thing R- that kind R- of spoils breaks it, isn't it? it up. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> even with the extra time to do the breakdance, <laughs> Jeff was kicked so hard he still would have lost. I guess. <laughs> yeah, what was yeah. supposed to take away from that. Mm. Um, I mean, it just amazing yeah amazing yeah. shit from all like because book is not a high-flying wrestler he he's the, no, the no, hard-hitting no. grounded wrestler here no 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 but then like the other three men like jeff's flying around he's got this elevated drop kick a yep. big old ddt that gives them both the the, the double down yep, yep we get the double tag back to uh, rvd and eddie coming in they both start flipping and flying and oh it's just as good second time round. yeah is this the Beautiful bit with the hurricane runner from rvd yeah is this the bit with the sort of rolling backdrop where like um, Guerrero just like gets fired into the fucking air. Oh god, yeah. Oh, that's just Amazing. beautiful. What a move! I've never seen anything like it. I thought that was incredible. Unique wrestler Rob Van Dam. And he just uh, RVD nails Eddie with the Rolling Thunder. Booker breaks it up at two and throws RVD out of the ring, which allows Jeff to come in and fight with Eddie as referee Nick Patrick pretends very badly he hasn't seen Jeff, uh, Jeff hit the ring illegally. <laughs> he fucking looks right at him at one point <laughs> and then has to turn to the outside and go, uh, not seeing any of that. <laughs> really weird. Uh, so Goldust charges the ring. <laughs> Jeff yeah. throws him straight out, <laughs> like he get like the momentum just carried through. Goldust lands on Booker at ringside. Yeah, RVD and Jeff climb the turnbuckles, 
and Eddie's hit with a really cool Swanton Bomb five-star frog splash combo. Oh! Um, I, I tell you what, oh my god, they could not have left it any finer. Yeah. Like, RVD nearly landed on Jeff, never mind Eddie. Oh god, um, but it's perfect, though. Like, this, they, they have so good. They have that spot down. It's, Absolutely. What a finisher. Suffice to say, Eddie has no choice but to eat the pin at 5.45. Yeah. Booker does not look impressed with Goldust. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm great I, shit. It's it's really good stuff, and I did wonder at first, like, did Goldust fuck up here? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was like, oh no, 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 that was on purpose, right? We needed yeah. to have like a bit of descent within the camp, really, mm. didn't we? Yeah, I get, I get it completely. But yeah, <laughs> it, it did look funny when it, it happened. Though. I was just like, and he's in, and he's out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, oh, this perfect was perfect choreography from all men involved in this one. Yeah, I would have, I would have watched this match be three times longer, but. Seriously. To be honest with you, I was still having a great time regardless. Like it's, Absolutely. it's wonderful stuff. Of course, and I, again, I would expect no less from any of these four. Yeah, absolutely. And then we get to ruin all our hype that we've oh, just had. God, don't we just? <laughs> Backstage, Jonathan Coachman interviews Terry, mm. and Terry has challenged Molly to a diva swimsuit competition. You leave my lovely Molly alone, you horrible little sod of a woman. <laughs> Terry shows Coach her swimsuit, though she keeps it hidden from the camera, and Coach looks impressed, or tries to pretend he's impressed anyway. <laughs> oh, it's just... I, mm. there, there's, there's bits of this where I'm just like, I I can't I can kind of get behind Terry being all right. I'm proud of my body. I'm quite happy sure, to do this sure. sort of thing, which, which in itself a noble sentiment. Absolutely, but it's not played that way. <laughs> no, it is not. Yeah. The, the thing is, when you look at the way that these characters are portrayed, technically both of them are right in what they're saying. But yeah, it's like which is unfortunately which is... Molly is made out to be the bad guy. Mm. Because of her attitude, yeah, and yeah. Terry is good by default because she's stripping off. Yeah, yeah, it's which it's, is not great. Yeah, it's a bit. But hey, oh, whatever. Mm, yeah. Uh, in Ric Flair's office, Flair prepares for his match in the main event as Arn inspects the hat. Mm. Flair points out to Arn that nobody actually saw Bradshaw get attacked two weeks ago. They only have Bradshaw's words to take for it that it even happened. Yep. Flair says he's heading to Bradshaw's dressing room to find out what's going on. Mm. Really easy night's work for Arn Anderson this one. Yeah. <laughs> Stand there, <laughs> nod, cross your arms a little bit. Yeah. Go, he might say like two words <laughs> in, in these last two promos. <laughs> so yeah. though, Arn Anderson has not aged, I think, ever. I think that man came out of the womb 40 years old. Oh, God. God. I, it's one of those things where I'm just like, I can instantly recognise a man, even though I haven't seen him for fucking years. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, oh, there's Arn Anderson, looking like a weirdo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you know what, though? If only we could all age as graciously as Arn Anderson. True, true. I mean, I look like shit now, and I'm 34, so there we go. <laughs> oh, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the ring, then. It's time for the swimsuit competition, which Jerry Lawler is, of course, going to preside over. Yes, now, of course. I'm not being funny when I say this, but I knew what the joke was going to be before either woman made their entrance. Oh, it, it's but let's so limp on regardless. Yeah, yeah. So, out comes She-Devil Terry first, wearing a black robe, entering to a reasonable welcome. 
Yep. And we, we have right. I'm gonna have to pull this up. A fan sign that the camera focuses on reads, "You show me yours, I'll show you mine." Which straight off the bat, not very clever, not very original. Um, it did tickle me though because it seemed to be written in crayon. <laughs> uh, and upon going back to pause and inspect, I realised it was being held up by a couple. What a Ooh. romantic gesture! Oh, there you go. There we go. That's how you show. That's how bit you of, show. Bit of polyamory on the on the old uh, <laughs> on the on the on the, on the, on the uh, King tells Terry that he's praying that she's wearing a phone. Oh. Uh, speaking of praying, here comes God's own Molly Holly mm. in a white robe to a smattering of booze from the fans who couldn't really give a shit about this asinine segment because the punchline <laughs> yeah. is so telegraphed. Well, yeah. Well, the the fact that she comes out with flippers, she's out with fl- you didn't even foot. need. She didn't even need to do that because it was so obvious what was going to happen. Exactly. But, uh, never mind. <laughs> so Molly insists on going first. Yep. Um, and then, <laughs> like, I I can't help but admit I found this really funny because of how she does it. Right. She puts on an old-fashioned bathing cap, which <laughs> oh, is just yeah, yeah, a great yeah. little visual. <laughs> Off comes the robe, and yep, sure enough, she's wearing a 1920s swimsuit. God, we go. love that woman. I Aww. fucking adore Molly Holly. Um, and, and I'm going to be honest here. I don't, you know, not to objectify any of the women on the show. She looks pretty lovely in it. I think. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, completely. I agree completely. Yeah, no, she's she's a gorgeous woman. You can tell. I I love Molly Holly so much, man. Mm. I'm going to fawn over her relentlessly for the next several years worth of episodes. <laughs> uh, so, of course, Terry takes her turn. She disrobes, and sure enough, there's a thong. Yeah. Um, she might as well be Molly... wearing fucking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, it's, it's not covering a lot. Yeah. Um, Molly tells Terry that she's disgusting and has. Uh, she asks if she has no dignity. Uh, no, she does not. <laughs> Molly, Molly says that she came dressed in a swimsuit for the swimsuit competition, whereas Terry is dressed like, excuse her language, a stripper. <laughs> oh, God love that woman. <laughs> Again, like it's not. It's not. It's not like. When you see Molly's justification for it, it's like, actually, do you know what? Like, this makes sense. It's yeah. not actually, like, booked as terribly as I was expecting it to be. Mm. It's more a case of the people involved and the crowd are just here for something else. <laughs> and yes. it's like, they're the heels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, King puts it to the crowd to determine who wins the contest and, naturally... Babyface Terry comes out on top. Yep. Molly says the fans don't deserve to see her virgin body in such a state of undress. <laughs> um, Terry, in response, flaunts her knockers a bit. Yeah. Um, somehow Molly is the villain. <laughs> Molly, Molly twats Terry with the flippers. Terry suddenly develops an uncharacteristic weakness to plastic and keels over. Um, which, all right, you know, fair folks, I suppose Molly is the baddie then. I still love her and I'm not going to boo her and you can't make me. I've got to say, um, like, you know, Flippers is quite a unique weapon in amongst the, <laughs> the history of WWE weapons. I, don't really, honest, that... I feel like she could swing those for the fences and it wouldn't hurt that much. <laughs> yeah, true. But I was just like, I was just thinking, I wonder if, I wonder if you could ever get flippers out of the crowd in one of the games. <laughs> God, I wish. <laughs> that would have been a nice little callback. <laughs> Matt Dickey, if you're listening to this, Wrestling Empire update for you. Put it, there we put go, it mate. There, there we weapon. go. Get, get to work, pal. <laughs> Backstage then, Flair 
heads to Bradshaw's locker room, which mm. is apparently the largest dressing room ever constructed. <laughs> yeah. This enormous black box <laughs> with a tiny room inside. Uh, well, I suppose he is in the main event, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, inside the room he finds dun dun dun, Kane's stolen mask. Ooh. Uh, Flair asks the passing Jacqueline where he can find Stone Cold's dressing room, mm. and she points him in the right direction. For this, she was paid $30,000. <laughs> After the ad break, Flair knocks on Austin's locker room door, where he's greeted by Deborah. Mm. Deborah tells Flair that Austin just left to get his knees taped up. For this, she was paid $30,000. <laughs> and also, they didn't do a great job of that, which we'll come to later. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just, just needed to retain the information. Austin was getting his knees taped up. Just, just bear that one in mind. Yeah. Uh, Flair turns around into Bradshaw, like directly fucking into him. Great bit of framing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Flair confronts Bradshaw about the hat and the mask and demands an explanation. Bradshaw... Badass as anything, refuses to give Flair anything, tells him he doesn't owe him jack shit, basically. Yeah. Uh, he tells him he's headed to the ring to kick some NWR ass with Stone Cold, and the only thing Flair has to do is decide if he's coming or not. Ooh, tension. Like it. Tension in the ranks, dissension. Like and again, it's adding another little wrinkle to the story because it's like, well, Brad, we. Bradshaw comes across like he's there to do business. He's there, he's not there to mm. turn on anybody. It's just like, look, I'm I'm here for the main event. I want to yeah. kick these guys' ass. Like if you're if you're gonna if you're with me, you're with me. But if you're not, I'm gonna do it. I'm, I'm gonna do the job. And I'm just like, okay, all right, maybe Bradshaw didn't do it. So you know, I'm mm. still second guessing the whole thing. So uh, yeah, I, I was I, I'm still still kind of into this. I, it's quite yeah. engaging as a little story. Mm. So then, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for our main event of the evening. Mm. Big Show, Scott Hall, Alex Park versus Ric Flair, Bradshaw, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, before we get into it, though, there's yeah. a couple of little bits of business. Um, first off, I want to address this little bit of back and forth between JR and King. Yep. JR, I wouldn't trust these three as far as I could throw them. King, you can't throw that Big Show anywhere. JR, <laughs> I know that. King, oh. <laughs> it was. I just, I just love. <laughs> yeah, it, it made me laugh. It's very silly, but like, <laughs> you, I don't know if they was they were aiming for something else, but like, just <laughs> the awkwardness of it was it funny. Was and, the, oh right, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course, no, that makes sense. Uh, backstage, the ring crew are a little bit fucked up because there's a bike under their eighteen wheeler. Yeah, wouldn't they? Um, you would be, wouldn't you? Mm, Undy arrives on the scene, and he is so incensed that he removes his coat. Uh, the bike is not <laughs> takes moving, takes ages however. to do it, though. <laughs> <laughs> that bike ain't going nowhere, so yeah. he gets very cross indeed and throws a pallet. Nearby, <laughs> a limo arrives and outsteps Kevin Nash. Mm. Surprise. Yep. Mm. So, again, we're hinting at Kevin Nash now being involved, mm. which is very course. strange. Yeah. <laughs> Na- Nash was uh, supposed to be suspended without pay at home, but obviously he he's been flaunting that he was on uh, the insurrection card he did right okay. in the main event there yeah um presumably buying a plane ticket of uh, of his own accord yeah uh, yeah, at yeah his own expense well, absolutely <laughs> well, if you could turn up in a limo he's obviously loaded of course <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> those things are not cheap yeah so um tag team trio main event bradshaw and xbox start things off and you know there's a little bit of i, I love this spot to start things off there's a bit of back and forth on like who's going to be Starting things off for the baby yeah. faces, they, like Bradshaw and Austin basically tell Flair get on that apron and do not even look at us. Funny, <laughs> yeah. Um, but then Bradshaw, like he asserts he's going to be 
the legal man to start things off. And Austin, he like he agrees to this. Yeah, yeah. And then immediately leans in, slaps Brad Shaw on the back, and tags himself. <laughs> <laughs> great work by Stoke Hold again. Like he's just great, oh, he's, right? he's he's so funny. No wonder he's the top guy. Like honestly, yeah. you look at stuff like this, just little little wrinkles like that, where it's just like no, I I can. I can play this up and come across like a right shit heel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> it makes Absolutely. perfect sense to do it. I I mean it's it you know it's pretty much what you'd expect from this this kind of main event here. I mean Austin Austin holds his own quite well against both X-Pac and Hall. Yeah. Uh, fun little bit where Austin's ramming X-Pac's head into the turnbuckle and with every hit the fans are chanting what 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 yeah, what. Yeah. Um Austin almost gets the stunner on Hall, but Hall yep. shoves him away. Austin tells Hall he wants Big Show, and Hall obliges, tagging Show in. So Big Show pushes Austin around a little bit, throws him with the biggest back body drop imaginable. Oof, I love that spot. Um, Austin sort of stumbles into the corner, and Bradshaw tags himself in, which yep. kind of irks Austin, but, you know, turnabout being fair play and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty standard Bradshaw offense against Hall and X Park. Yeah, um, you can tell that Bradshaw likes these two though, because like he's hitting them, but he's not hitting them. You know? Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's not. He's not. He's not doing the Bradshaw them. special. No, no, I exactly. Agree completely. You know, he clearly he clearly has a soft spot for Waltman and Hall. So. Yeah, I, I've got to mention as well in that first section where Stone Cold was in. Um, his knee brace came loose. <laughs> so, uh, so having his knee taped up uh, didn't really do an awful lot didn't for do that. Jack shit. There's, there's also no tape on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Deborah, what are you talking about? Stone Cold was just like, gotta get out of here. Gotta, gotta get, out, get away from this woman's constant yeah. nagging. Uh, right. So, really constant, effective tagging from the MWO. They, like, the three of them beat the shit out of Bradshaw he is like it's uh, again Bradshaw babyface in peril like, yeah don't yeah think no, that's absolutely. a thing he can do but it's really effectively done did you, JR, did, you did you see um, X-Pac's amazing heel kick where he just like fucking goes mm. into the stratosphere <laughs> <laughs> just like whoa oh and there's a great call from JR in this where it's like Bradshaw is being tossed around like a double cheeseburger <laughs> <laughs> that as well it's like okay so after after the last episode where you were dead set against the, the fans chanting you fat bastard now you're alright with that you okay fair enough and I'm just like mate JR like what are you doing with your food man <laughs> seriously <laughs> tossed around like a double cheese <laughs> um, Bradshaw's forehead cut is opened up again and Big Show headbutts him which covers his own head in Bradshaw's <laughs> claret yeah yeah I was um, I, Bradshaw man like it's a house show you don't need to yeah. bleed no <laughs> calm it down mate <laughs> he, he's not had a lot of luck with that cut on the last few yeah, shows yeah. it won't go away See, see, nowadays they just glue it, and that would well, be fine. Yeah, exactly. But then again, this is also Bradshaw, who doesn't work anything but stiff. So, yeah, oh, God, <laughs> I suppose yeah. it makes sense that it keeps getting sure, busted open absolutely. all the time. Uh, Hall gives Bradshaw a leaping fall away slam, which was a bit interesting. Oh, God, so um, good. It, I mean, it looks great, but mm. oddly, the crowd seemed to kind of die a little bit around now. I thought. Yeah, but they do wake up because uh, we get we get a we get the breakout of a we want flare chant. So yeah, they they kind of wake up fairly quickly again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the match sort of breaks down. Everyone gets into a big fight, and yes. Big Show removes the cover from the commentary table. So of course, someone's going through that. Yep, yep. It doesn't take uh, too Bradshaw, long either. Yeah. Bradshaw splatters X-Pac with the clothesline from hell. Yep. And alas for him, at the referee's count of two, Show pulls him out of the ring 
and gives him an enormous chokeslam through the table, which takes him out, basically, and makes the match three on two at this yeah, stage. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, it's it's a great spot as well. Like, um, looks fantastic. Yeah, Bradshaw yeah. does not move for the rest of the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, he sells that really well. No, I, I was impressed actually because, like, again, a, a standing choke slam from the ground to the to the table. There's every there was every possibility that that table would not have broken. Mm. But I'm guessing just like that extra bit of height from Big Show and also mm. you know Bradshaw's weight, just perfect. Absolutely did that. Got to be said. Bradshaw's not a small guy, so lifting yeah. him up with, you know, with one hand. I mean, I admittedly supported a little bit with the other hand, but lifting him up with one hand—that's a fuck of a job for. Big oh, Show absolutely, so absolutely. Well done to the guy. Big Show looking really good here, actually. You know, like yeah. I, I know he he suffered from weight fluctuations throughout his career, but honestly, yeah. like he was he was looking really really solid here. You know, he, he did good, good, some good stuff. Good build for Big Show here, physically. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Although he, I did he, keep I, getting confused because. I, I was looking at Big Show when he when he was doing his promos and stuff, and his his beard was really dark. And I'm just like, mm. does does Big Show dye his beard? And then I'm like, wait, hang on, no, this isn't this is 20 years ago, Lewis. You fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, I have to keep reminding myself, like, no, no, it's it's, it's he's just young. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was the before time. <laughs> yeah, it's re- just a real brain fart of a moment by me, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, so back in the ring then Austin is now valiantly fighting on takes down both X-Pac and Hall gives him a, a double clothesline leaping off the ropes mm. and then oh such a cool moment comes at them from behind as the two of them get to their feet like like staggering and helping one another up gets in underneath them both and gives them a double stunner beautiful spot um, they both sell it incredibly well incredible yeah i mean yeah, like yeah. like both of them take it in a very different way x-park takes it like he's been shot yeah Paul takes it in that cartoon character kind of way that he oh. does but, but both of them make it look great yeah yeah absolutely and i mean we've seen some pretty shit stunners recently <laughs> oh haven't so, we just so it's just nice to see one sold pitch perfect like that's the stunner is a fantastic finishing move and when you've got when you're working with someone that's happy to take it the way it should be Mm. taken like it's it's a beautiful thing uh at this point referee earl hebner is doing a stunningly poor job of officiating and refuses (laughs) to get the illegal men out of the ring yeah uh austin ducks a clothesline from big show takes a really nasty tumble to the outside yeah yeah i did i couldn't quite look planned no i was like is that was that a botch but like at the same time it it it, it didn't it didn't matter if it was a botch you know because it was like that's where he needed to be at that point in time it's just that yeah he, he really did look like he stacked it yeah like show throws him straight back into the ring so mm. to me it just kind of feels like oh was that supposed to happen <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. there's no like smacking him around in front of the front row or anything yeah, like yeah. throwing him into the barricade he just like gets him straight back in so like it really just feels like austin tripped and fell yeah 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 but um, luckily he didn't get injured or anything and it the oh, match no, continued yeah, as fine yeah. it was yeah, yeah it, it was it was no biggie but i was like i i did see that and i was like oh was that a botch <laughs> mm. yeah Big Show threatens JR like a bad man. How dare you? <laughs> uh, he then gives Austin a back body drop, and Austin, landing hard, barks very audibly, Shit! Yep, I caught that as well. <laughs> right on the hard cam. <laughs> uh, Show gets Austin in the corner, tries to charge him. Austin pushes him back uh, with his foot, hops onto the second rope, flips Show off, dives at him with a Luthez press. Oh. Uh, great little sequence. Yep. Austin goes for the stunner. Show pushes him off, 
kicks Austin with a big boot, which knocks him into Hebner, yes. who's sent flying out of the ring. And to be fair, that's a big old bump for a non-wrestler to take. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Hebner, Hebner took that really well, actually. Yeah, no, I was impressed because, again, like, <sighs> refs, ref bump spots... Yeah, they are very rarely good. <laughs> yeah, they, like they, yeah, they'll fall over a slight gust a lot of the referees. Yeah, but yeah. That, that convincingly, I think, yeah, fair. Absolutely. Fact, take a ref out. Like, there's a bit as well where like he is dead weight and like Stokos trying to lift him up, and it's just like <laughs> he's de- selling that amazingly well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at this point, Flair enters the ring, steel chair in hand, but Big mm. Show simply swats it away. Yep. Show goozles Flair. Yep. But Austin makes the save with a low blow from behind, followed by a stone-cold stunner. Excellent. With no referee to make the count, though, Austin's cover is for naught. So Austin leans outside the ring to try and revive Hebner to no avail, <laughs> yeah. only to turn back straight into a strike from the chair held by Ric Flair. <sighs> the match is uh, officially recorded as being thrown out at 15 minutes and 51. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame it's a schmaltz finish, but like... It's, again, house show, right? Like, I, I was yeah. never expecting, like, a, a clean finish. Sure. Um, no. uh, to that end, Flair gets on the mic, tells Austin that Austin will be facing Flair and Big Show in a handicap match at Judgment Day. Uh, he then puts Austin in the figure four leg lock. Hall leans in to give Flair the extra leverage while pulling at uh, Flair's extended arms. Yep. Austin writhes in pain. Show laughs raucously before helping Flair apply the hold. Flair and Big Show stand tall as the broadcast goes off the air. Yeah, oh god. Big Show's laughing in that last bit. (laughs) 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 Proper hammy, I love it. Um, Yeah, so this... The the swerve at the end here, right? Mm. Kind of creates a couple of plot holes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Why the fuck was Flair looking for Bradshaw the entire time when he knew he was going to fuck it over at the end? (laughs) There's no need for him to be up in Bradshaw's face when it's like, well, I'm going to turn on you anyway. (laughs) Staring shit, I guess. But yeah, Yeah. like, you know, if if he's already, like, put the mask in Bradshaw's locker room, then surely that's staring shit anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And then again, not not directly related, but indirectly. What was the fucking point of Kevin Nash showing up? <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Misdirection. I can only assume after the show went off the air, Nash probably hit the ring and Austin probably gave a stunner to everyone to send the crowd home happy. Yeah, yeah. There might have been a dark match can, or something. Imagine, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um but yeah, no, it's it's a it's a fun main event. Like uh, as much really? as like again, a little bit disappointing that it was a schmoz, but like at the same time. I very much enjoyed the action throughout it. There was loads of really cool spots, lots of awesome sequence stuff, um, just funny commentary, like just oh, it's it's everything you want from a WWE show at this point Absolutely. in time. I was having a great old time. Yeah, and I, I I gotta say as well, like this is one of those things where looking back, yeah, this reveal, this twist, yeah actually makes some of the things that have happened prior to now make a lot more sense. Okay, okay. Um, because obviously, like Flair was the one who sent Nash home without pay. So why right. was Nash yep, at insurrection? Yep, yep. Okay, because obviously yeah, yeah. they've been colluding. Yep, yep. Uh, Flair chased off the NWO at insurrection, but we never actually saw him get physically involved right. with okay. them. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the NWO supposedly didn't want to work with Flair um, and were very confrontational, but they hadn't particularly interacted before that point okay so obviously okay. the the thing is it's all been a big lie to the, yeah. for the benefit of the fans like to for flair to get what he wanted he wanted the nwo 
to make sure Vince didn't get them effectively. I, I'm, I'm, I'm into that. That's down. that's good. Long term booking, man. Like that's what you it want is. to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The downside of it is it's been a real casualty for Stone Cold, who has been meandering to hell and back these last few weeks and months. Yeah, um, like great, great long term storytelling for Flair for the NWO. Stone Cold has not particularly gained anything from this. Obviously, you know, yeah, the, you know, the, you. the big handicap match is going to be that. That's traditional Stone Cold booking. You you put yeah, your yeah, yeah. wicket. How's he going to get out of it? That's yeah, yeah. the best way you book Austin's character. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, it's taken you two months to get to this point. Could we not yeah. have cut to the chase a little bit less? And I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I, throughout the entire show as well, he's he 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 wasn't involved in any of the backstage segments, so he did kind no. of feel a bit third wheel. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I, I see where you're coming from, but at the same time, he came out and it's always the biggest pop of the night. So yeah, you know, fans like, love him. yeah, it's you. You can't put Stone Cold down even after no. they. You know, he's been through that whole heel angle d- during you know the invasion angle and stuff like that as well. Like he's, he, but he's he's full face again now. The yeah. crowd just happy to, to to cheer Austin. Absolutely. This so. this is the point at which. I think Stone Cold is now in a very special upper echelon of wrestler who the fans could never boo again. Yeah, yeah, I get you. And they tried. They tried during the invasion, but the fans weren't into it. They want to love Stone Cold. At the end of the day, his whole character is... He is an everyman. He's the working man. Yeah. Why would you want the working man in the audience to boo him? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? Because, like, obviously... Famous WrestleMania 17 conclusion, him turning heel with with Vince and stuff. And it's like, in that moment, it's a big, oh my God, shock horror. And it it, it raises all these questions. But then Then they really hadn't thought about how to book it afterwards. It it was very much a case of Stone Cold had an itch to be, you know, a heel, but they hadn't quite thought about how that was going to work. No. So yeah, it just it just it suits the characters for him to be face. It makes perfect sense. The crowd, yeah. very much you know, probably working class in a majority wise. So it makes sense for them to be fully behind the working class man. You know, it just makes, it makes perfect sense. So yeah, I will say though, like for for the last few weeks, Bradshaw's kind of come off as a bit of a patsy, but I thought he looked quite good in this. I mean, obviously he got yeah, choke slammed. Yeah. To tiny little pieces, but, but he that lo- still he, makes he, him look strong because he took a choke slam through a table. Like, yeah, yeah. He he came out of this looking pretty great. I mean, you know, he mm. took the beat in three on one and lived to tell the tale. Basically, yeah, yeah, he was going to win the match after that before Show pulled yeah. him out of the ring. So yeah. Bradshaw looks great. If anyone, he's the one that looks best out of this. Yeah, yeah. and yet ironically, this isn't where his main event push comes from. Mm, that's interesting. Hmm. We've got, we've got a little bit more of a wait on uh, on main event Bradshaw. I mean, they yeah. they try they they are trying to get the crowd behind him, but it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's for those of you that don't know. Ooh, you'll never see it coming. You'll <laughs> never see the, the change coming. Good. Well, I'm excited to hear that on the podcast when Absolutely. it eventually happens. There is one remaining note. Um, the following day after this show. Okay. For his part in the plane ride from hell, which we covered previously on the last episode, yep. Scott Hall was released from his contract. Oh, this um, is his last appearance, is it? This is his very last appearance. So, oh, wow. it, uh, ironically, he ends up sort of standing taller for this one. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Hall did not return to the WWE until 2014, which wow. means this okay. is the last time we'll see him on our timeline, that's, and it's the shame. last time we'll see him in a match yeah. as well in WWE because he's never had a match with them since. Yeah, I, you reminded me actually. I didn't mention um, the NWO theme as they enter has like a little flourish of the Big Show theme at the start and then becomes yeah. the NWO, which I thought was really funny. That's cool. I, I did like that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 this was a good show, honestly. I was having a good time with this. Um, yeah. um, this I think needed to be strong because, as as we said, you know, there were probably a lot of fans in attendance thinking, "Oh God, what?" You know, if they change the name, what else have they changed? This needed to be strong for them to yeah. see. You know, what else had changed? Nothing. Yeah, yeah. But it was. The, I think the thing with this show in particular is it, it wasn't really about matches. It was more about that 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 NWO and. Um, mm. You know, storyline and obviously the Undertaker stuff as well with Hogan. Um, that was the real pull here. It was a lot of backstage segments and a lot of like um, foreshadowing for things to come. And the the matches kind of suffered a little bit because of that because they were all very short and or they had a schmoz finish and then something else yeah. happened afterwards that was tangentially related. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I feel like the actual wrestling was probably not serviced too well. Um, but no. at, the, at the same time, I think. Everything that was happening was so entertaining that I was kind of forgiving it for for the shortcomings. To be honest with you, sure. I, was, I was having a good I time. I think this is kind of the point at which, as well, certainly for the the first half of the era, yeah, um, Raw leans more towards the entertainment and the segments and stuff. SmackDown leans more towards the wrestling, right? Okay, which I mean, it helps both of the shows feel really different. Yeah, yeah, gives them gives them an identity, but. As you say, sometimes it does mean the matches end up a little bit short shrift as a result on Raw. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, hey-ho, still an entertaining show. And at the end of the day, if you can uh, watch a uh, two-hour wrestling show and you come away with a smile on your face, I think you're a winner. Absolutely. And look, it's it's entirely worth watching, if only for the RVD, Jeff Hardy versus Booker T and Eddie Guerrero match. God, yeah. Four of the all-time greats, man. Big-time highlight. Definitely worth checking that one out if you have to watch one match from this show. Comfortably, comfortably mm. match of the night, and it won't it won't even take you that long to watch it if you want exactly, to check that exactly. one out. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, completely agrees. And look, the main event is great fun as well, but like yeah. you, you don't get you don't get a definitive finish with that one, so you you kind of have no. to. And it it it, re, it really does lean quite heavily on the events of that have happened throughout the show for you to really yes. like connect with it. So yeah, it, I don't think you can really watch that one in isolation. Whereas I feel like no, you can with the uh, with the Jeff and RVD match. Absolutely. Yeah. So then, we've reached the end of another episode of Monday Night Raw. Lewis, tell our lovely listeners where they can find you online. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Kronkblatz. That's uh, K-R-O-N-K-B-L-A-T-S. Um, I, I, I got to ask, what's the origin of that? <laughs> uh, it's, it just sounds funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just a weird word that I found funny. It, uh, <laughs> Maybe a slight reference to the character Kronk from Balls on the Mega Drive. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but again, just a funny word. Um, uh, yeah, um, my main thing is Sega Driven, which is a Sega fan site, SegaDriven.com, and an accompanying YouTube channel, which I'm regularly uploading videos. Uh, which but also, you really should be subscribed to if you aren't already. I'm oh, not thank you very much. Because you're a mate. I'm saying that because <laughs> it's bloody good content. Oh, thank you very much, buddy. 
Um, and yeah, um, outside of that, um, I am one of the hosts on the Bar Godcast, which is unfortunately going on a little hiatus. Um, but, but yeah, a wrestling podcast mainly about WrestleMania, but we have uh, delved into some other promotions recently. And also Cast Iron, which is a podcast all about rock and metal, where we review albums front to back, very much like the bonus episode that you can now get on the RA Relived Patreon. Oh, yes, ladies and gents, if you head over to patreon.com forward slash RA Relived, we now have a Patreon page set up. Oh, ain't that exciting? Uh, and thank you very much for joining me once again. Anytime, buddy. Before we get into the profile segment today, covering Stone Cold Steve Austin's journey to the start of our timeline, I want to give thanks to Ruthless Aggression Relived's first patrons over at patreon.com forward slash RA Relived. Your support helps production of the podcast, and quite honestly, it means the world to me. Now, I'd love to be able to do this podcast full-time for you guys, and the support of patrons like these is a step towards, hopefully, making that a reality. Firstly, patronising at the £7 undisputed patron tier, I have to give thanks to John Blood. Obviously, some of you will have heard Johnny on this show before, and a lot of you know him as one of my New Legacy Inc. fellows. Johnny, I love you, man. Thank you so much for being my first patron. It means the world to me. Also patronising at the £7 tier is Lita Ray Stanley. Uh, Lita threw a couple of questions into the ring for the first Q&A episode, so you guys can look forward to hearing those and my answers in an upcoming episode. Thank you for backing the podcast, Lita. Thank you for your questions. I'm looking forward to giving them and any and all others I receive an in-depth look very soon. And backing at the £4 aggressive patron tier is Daryl Turner. Thank you, Daryl. Your support is hugely appreciated, and I hope you enjoyed the first bonus episode. Ah, uh, yes, bonuses, because any good Patreon page needs incentives, and Ruthless Aggression Reload is no different. Tiers start from as little as £1, and all come with rewards. £1 Ruthless patrons will receive a shout-out on the show as with Johnny Lita and Daryl here today, and in addition, can gain access to the Ruthless Aggression Relive Discord server, where you'll be able to interact not just with other patrons, but also myself and the podcast's co-hosts. In addition, you'll be able to access the schedule, revealing which episodes are coming up, both on the main feed and as Patreon exclusives. Yes, exclusive! For £4 aggressive patrons, we'll receive access to all of the perks I just listed, plus exclusive bonus episodes, which will not appear on the main feed. These episodes will focus mainly on WWE merchandise from the period, including the books, magazines, DVDs, and more besides. The first of these episodes is currently available, and features me and today's co-host Lewis Clark dissecting the WWF Forcible Entry music album track by track. Given Lewis is a music enthusiast and dissecting albums track by track is the way his Cast Iron podcast works, suffice to say it worked out rather well. And £7 undisputed patrons will receive all those perks plus they can contribute questions to Q&A episodes. Undisputed patrons will receive those episodes ahead of the main feed. If you ever had a burning question to ask me, then this is the tier that lets you ask away. I've got big things planned for the Patreon, as thanks to those who back me. I do have another tier planned, which will see even more bonus episodes become available, but it's contingent on how successful the Patreon is. 
And if I can hit the goal currently shown on the page, I'll be able to do this podcast for a living, which would result in me giving you guys thanks by launching a secondary companion series to this one for all Patreon backers at any tier in which I dive into contemporary wrestling shows by TNA and Supercards from Ring of Honor, all of which are shows I have never seen before, meaning it'd be my turn to get an education on wrestling history. To be serious for a moment, guys, the support you give the show continues to be nothing short of incredible to me. Um, I checked this morning, we've topped 7,000 cumulative downloads. Now, I know next to some other larger wrestling podcasts, that probably seems like small potatoes, but it sincerely blows my mind that you guys continue to put your faith in the podcast like this. If you'd like to back Ruthless Aggression Relived on Patreon, then I would be beyond humbled. The address, once again, is patreon.com forward slash R.A. Relived. With that out of the way, it's time to hop into our regular profile segment. Today we'll be casting an eye over one of today's episode's main eventers, and much more than that, perhaps the biggest superstar in the history of professional wrestling. Grab a beer for the working man as we look at the history of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Born Stephen James Anderson on December 18, 1964, the future Stone Cold would later take on his stepfather's surname and become Stephen James Williams. Stephen was an athletic youth and played football in college and university, suffering a knee injury during this time that would contribute to a lengthy history of knee issues for him. Stephen's first wrestling events he attended as a fan in his childhood were Houston wrestling shows operated by legendary promoter Paul Bosch. At university, Stephen was a short distance away from the equally legendary Dallas Sportatorium, where world-class championship wrestling put on weekly shows. The Sportatorium was the beginning of Stephen's own professional wrestling career. Here, WCCW wrestler Gentleman Chris Adams ran a wrestling school, which taught up-and-comer Stephen technical wrestling skills. Amazingly, Adams neglected to inform his student of the artifice of the professional wrestling business, which was still a closely guarded secret at the time. It wasn't until Stephen's first televised match for WCCW that he realised wrestling was scripted when the match's referee talked him through the match. Stephen would at first work under his real name of Stephen Williams, but this led to a problem. There was already a wrestler named Stephen Williams, better known to many as Dr. Death Steve Williams. As a result, when WCCW merged with the Continental Wrestling Association to form the United States Wrestling Association, the future WWE Hall of Famer was renamed by genius booker Dutch Mantel to Steve Austin, presumably in honour of Stephen's birthplace of Austin, Texas. Suffice to say, the name stuck. Austin would enjoy decent success in Dallas, managed by Percy Pringle, later known to WWE fans as Undertaker's manager Paul Bearer, and accompanied by Jeannie Adams. Jeannie was, ironically, the ex-girlfriend of Gentleman Chris, taking her ring name from his surname, and was, by 1990, the current girlfriend of Austin. Austin and Jeannie were feud with the gentleman and his wife Tony before Austin departed the USWA. Austin's arrival in World Championship Wrestling was a messy affair. Austin was given the moniker Stunning Steve Austin and the valet Vivacious Veronica, 
it became clear almost immediately that neither were the best fit for Austin, though WCW at least picked up on the latter, switching Veronica for Jeannie, now working under the name of Lady Blossom. If Austin wasn't impressed with the stunning character, he at least didn't let it show in his ring work, quickly impressing fans and higher-ups with his technical skills. By his own admission, however, Austin knew how to have a good match, but he didn't have the right gimmick that would truly take him to success. Nevertheless, Austin enjoyed a solid run in WCW's mid-card, joining the Dangerous Alliance, headed by Paul E. Dangerously, future ECW owner Paul Heyman, and holding the WCW Television Championship twice. Amusingly, at the 1992 Halloween Havoc event, he would team up with Dr. Death, meaning both men were named and tagging with Steve Williams. It would be in late 1992 that Austin first worked closely with a man who impacted his life greatly. Dusty Rhodes, head bucker of WCW at the time, placed Austin in a tag team with Flying Brian Pillman. Austin was initially unkeen on this, as he was supposedly set to receive a push for the WCW United States Championship, with the added benefit of wrestling icon Harley Race as his manager. However, Pillman was keen to make the team work, and convinced Austin they should have a tag team finisher, matching ring gear, and a team name. Scott Levy, better known to wrestling fans as Raven, suggested the name The Hollywood Blondes, and Austin and Pillman used this name as the basis for their gimmick and characters. Pillman and Austin became incredibly close friends. Pillman gifted Austin a gold chain which became an iconic part of Austin's look as he wore it to honour his friend many years after Pillman's passing. The Blondes would win the WCW Tag Team Championships from Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas and enjoyed a successful run with the belts. Unfortunately, an injury to Pillman not only put an end to that, but also seemed to derail Austin's momentum in WCW. Austin would briefly join Colonel Robert Parker's stud stable, and then, upon Pillman's return, Austin would turn upon his former tag partner, a booking choice that Austin couldn't explain then or now. While Austin won the eventual match between the two, his ensuing singles push was messy to say the least. Defeating Dustin Rhodes, Austin would win the WCW United States Championship, but lose it to Ricky Steamboat. An injury to Steamboat before their rematch at Fall Brawl 1994 saw Austin awarded the championship by forfeit, but mere minutes later he would lose it when Steamboat's replacement Jim Duggan defeated him in just 35 seconds, before an unsuccessful challenge from Austin saw him walk away from the whole endeavour with nothing. It didn't take Austin long to realise the influence of Hulk Hogan on WCW, who joined the company in March of that year. Seeing the best way to get ahead would be to work with Hogan, Austin pitched a storyline to WCW Vice President Eric Bischoff, which would see the revelation that Austin was secretly a family member of Hogan's. Bischoff shot this down, as he didn't believe Hogan would work with someone who wasn't a proven name. To add insult to injury, after injuring his triceps, Austin was telephoned by Bischoff, who then fired Austin from the company over the phone, believing Austin was difficult to work with, and that he wasn't marketable. Oops. Healing from his injury, come September 1995, Austin enjoyed a brief run in Paul Heyman's Extreme Championship Wrestling. Austin only had a handful of matches in ECW, but these were not the most valuable experience he had with the promotion. On the contrary, the best thing to happen to Austin was Paul Heyman giving him the chance to refine his promo skills, giving Austin a chance to speak from the heart, teaching Austin the true secret of delivering good promos, saying words you truly believe in. A few months later, Austin would appear for Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Federation, making his debut for the company on a pre-taped edition of Monday Night Raw, which aired on January 8th, 1996. Austin was awarded the Million Dollar Championship in his debut by manager Ted DiBiase, 
However, this was more of a step back than anything else. Austin would wrestle under the name The Ringmaster, and the dubious Million Dollar Championship, long established in storyline as nothing more than a vanity belt for DiBiase's character, did little to legitimise him. The WWF did have faith in Austin, however, and intended for him to be among the final four in 1996's Royal Rumble. Unfortunately, Austin slipped off the ropes following a clothesline from Fatu, and landed at the ringside area, eliminating him early as per the rules of the match. Unsatisfied with the ringmaster gimmick, Austin wanted to come up with something new and better. Inspired by Bruce Willis's appearance in Pulp Fiction, Austin shaved his already thinning hair off and went bald. Growing out a goatee completed his look. Austin now looked the part, but he'd need a new name. Taking further inspiration for his character from serial killer Richard Kuklinski, Austin wanted a ring name not unlike the sensationalist nickname the press had run with for Kuklinski, Iceman. WWF Creative gave Austin a list of possible choices, perhaps misinterpreting his request to play a cold-blooded character, as the names included Frost McFang, Ice Dagger, and the astonishingly terrible Chili McFreeze. It would be Austin's former valet, Jeannie, now his wife, that provided the inspiration that changed the course of his career. Making him a cup of tea as he sat wrecking his brains to come up with a name, English-born Jeannie told him to drink his tea before it became stone cold. The two immediately realised they'd hit on gold. The ringmaster was out, Stone Cold Steve Austin was born, and wrestling was never the same for it. The final vestige of the ringmaster gimmick was Austin's manager Ted DiBiase, who now no longer fit Austin's gimmick. This would be rectified at the climax of Austin's feud with Savio Vega, culminating in a Caribbean strap match at In Your House, Beware of Dog. A horrendous thunderstorm that evening cut the feed to the audience viewing at home and shut off the lights in the building for almost every match on the card, meaning Vega and Austin were forced to wrestle in the dark. This was rectified two nights later with a encore presentation of the event, effectively a rerunning of the matches, which meant storylines could proceed as intended. However, between the two shows, it was stipulated that if Austin lost his match against Vega on the encore show, DiBiase would be forced to leave the WWF. In reality, this was a way to write DiBiase off television as he departed for WCW. Austin would lose the match, but for all intents and purposes, gain his freedom. Before leaving the company, backstage DiBiase would advise Austin to ignore advice given to him by producers who didn't get the Stone Cold character and continue what he was doing, noting success requires patience. As a result of the Madison Square Garden curtain call incident a few months prior, in which Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Razor Ramon and Hunter Hearst Helmsley broke character on what was Diesel and Ramon's last night in the company, Helmsley was punished by having his scheduled win of the 1996 King of the Ring tournament taken off him, with plans shifting to make Austin the winner instead. Austin defeated Jake the Snake Roberts in the final match of the tournament. Interviewed by Doc Hendricks after the match, Austin ad-libbed one of the most famous promos in wrestling history. Roberts had been playing a born-again Christian gimmick, and Austin responded to this by saying, You sit there and you thump your Bible, and you say your prayers, and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. The following night on Raw, the fans held up a veritable sea of Austin 3.16 poster boards. The t-shirt that followed became one of the biggest sellers in company history. The era of Austin had arrived at last. Austin's rise to the top saw him constantly berate Bret Hart, who was having a hiatus from the ring at the time. 
Hart would return and challenge Austin to a match at Survivor Series 1996 to determine the number one contender to the WWF Championship. Austin accepted the challenge, but would lose the match. Along the way, however, Austin would feud with Brian Pillman once more. As part of the storyline, Pillman would begin to side more and more with Brett than Austin, with Austin assaulting Pillman before wedging the latter's ankle between the back and seat of a folding steel chair and stomping on the legs of the chair to shut it tight around Pillman's ankle, shattering it in storyline. The infamy of this moment led to the move being renamed as the Pillmanizer ever since. Further, Austin and Pillman continued their feud when an extremely controversial episode of Raw saw Austin invade Pillman's home, and Pillman responded by pulling a gun on Austin. The sequence was, of course, scripted, but it led to a panic among viewers, particularly Pillman's neighbours who weren't clued in on the storyline, and viewers watching were misled to believe that Pillman had shot Austin. The segment went down in infamy as Pillman's got a gun, and the WWF were forced to apologise for the crass tastelessness of the angle, though it did help them transition into the upcoming Attitude Era. The 1997 Royal Rumble saw Austin put in an astonishing performance, eliminating ten opponents, fully a third of the match's participants. He would get eliminated from the match, but he wasn't spotted by match officials, leading to him sneaking back into the ring and eliminating Bret Hart to win the contest. As a result of the controversy, the matter was to be settled at In Your House 13, Final Four, where the Final Four of that year's Royal Rumble match, Austin, Hart, The Undertaker and Vader, squared off in a fatal four-way elimination match to determine the WWF champion, the first pay-per-view main event of Austin's WWF career. Injuring his knee, Austin was eliminated early on in the match, and Hart would go on to win, though he would drop the WWF Championship to Psycho Sid the following night, with Sid and Undertaker thus scheduled for the main event of WrestleMania 13, and allowing Austin and Hart to continue their feud. At WrestleMania 13, Austin and Hart faced off in a submission match, with Ken Shamrock as special guest referee. Austin entered the match as the callous heel, and Hart the heroic babyface. Amazingly, however, the two were able to perform one of the rarest and most difficult pieces of storytelling in all of pro wrestling, the double turn. By the time the match ended, Hart's increasingly cowardly actions saw the fans turn on him, and Austin's bravery, boldness and refusal to quit led those same fans to embrace him. Austin was pouring blood from a cut on his face, and when Hart applied his deadly sharpshooter submission hold, all seemed lost. However, in a defining moment for the Stone Cold character, Austin refused to submit to the hold, despite the excruciating agony, instead passing out from the pain. The match is seen as one of the greatest in wrestling history. And though Hart was awarded the victory, Austin was the true winner, having been cemented as a main event superstar. Nevertheless, Austin's character didn't change too much, and he didn't immediately embrace the fans. He remained an anti-hero, a tweener in wrestling parlance, someone who's literally in between good and bad. Austin didn't care who he beat up. The only difference now was he was getting cheered for it. Austin would continue to feud with Hart and the extended Hart Foundation stable for the next several months, and would enjoy success with tag team partners Shawn Michaels and Dude Love, one of the alternate personalities in Mick Foley, winning the WWF Tag Team Championships with both. It would be at SummerSlam 1997 that a pivotal moment in Austin's life occurred, and not one for the better. Austin faced Owen Hart for the Intercontinental Championship, and a catastrophic misunderstanding took place. 
Owen told Austin he'd give him a pile driver and drop to his buttocks to perform the move, the traditional way the move had been done. Austin wanted to clarify Owen's intent, asking if he meant he'd drop to his knees to deliver the pile driver in the fashion the Undertaker did the move. Owen asserted his original intent, but the problem was, Owen was such a known joker, Austin thought that the younger heart was playing a joke on him. In the match, Austin positioned himself to take a pile driver that would see him protected by Owen's knees, and Owen fell to his buttocks. Austin was dropped directly on his head, and his neck was broken. Additionally, Austin found in the immediate aftermath of the pile driver that he couldn't move. Owen, realising something had gone wrong, showboated to the crowd as Austin mercifully regained feelings in his limbs. His paralysis had only been momentary, if terrifying. Austin was able to use a hastily ad-libbed roll-up to help him win the match, but had to be helped to backstage by several referees. The severity of Austin's injury kept him out of matches for the immediate future, though fortunately they were not anything like as bad as they could have been. Austin was forced to relinquish both his tag team and Intercontinental Championships, however. On the September 22, 1997 edition of Raw, Austin would be told by Vince McMahon's Mr. McMahon character that he wasn't allowed to compete due to not being medically cleared. Tensions would brew between the Austin and McMahon characters, with Austin eventually hitting his stone-cold stunner finisher on McMahon, sending the fans into roars of delight. It would be around this time that Austin would also enter a feud with The Rock over the Intercontinental Championship, which Austin regained from Owen Hart at Survivor Series 1997. The storyline would see The Rock stealing the belt from Austin. Austin, defying Mr. McMahon, forfeited the title to The Rock rather than giving him a match, and then threw the belt off a bridge into a river. Following Survivor Series and the Montreal Screwjob, Bret Hart's departure from the WWF meant Austin and Michaels were automatically the top stars in the company. In the wake of the controversial event, Michaels was now the WWF champion. The 1998 Royal Rumble saw Austin last eliminate The Rock to win the match and earn a shot at the WWF Championship in the main event of WrestleMania 14. On the following night's Raw, Austin took exception to Mr. McMahon referring to special guest Mike Tyson as the baddest man on the planet, leading to a physical confrontation between the two. As a result, Tyson was named Special Enforcer for Austin and Michael's match at WrestleMania, a steep hurdle for Austin to climb as Tyson aligned himself with Michael's Degeneration X group. However, at the event, Tyson would turn on Michael's and count Austin's victory over him, winning Austin his first WWF championship. This would prove to be Michael's last match before his retirement, as a serious back injury sustained in a casket match with Undertaker would force him out of the ring. Don't worry though, listeners, we'll be hearing from him before too long on our timeline. Word is, Austin wasn't especially keen on the design of the WWF Championship, and it's believed he in particular wasn't fond of the way the wings of the eagle on the faceplate jutted out and would poke him in the stomach. Either way, a new belt had been designed and pressed, and would be given to Austin on the episode of Raw following WrestleMania 14. During this sequence, Austin really kick-started his long-standing enmity with Mr. McMahon, who didn't approve of Austin's rebellious nature and wanted a champion who'd follow the rules, the exact opposite of what the fans wanted. Austin's physical response to McMahon, a stone-cold stunner, ignited arguably one of the greatest feuds in wrestling history, with Austin constantly facing off against his boss. 
McMahon was a stand-in for every awful boss everywhere, and Austin was a hero of the working class, with fans being able to live vicariously through him, cheering the one man in the world who could get away with beating his boss up. With Hart and Michaels gone from the WWF, a new championship and a new kind of champion, the new generation era was officially dead and buried. The Attitude Era was here. Austin and McMahon's rivalry was characterised by McMahon doing everything in his power to make life miserable for Austin, and Austin fighting back against unbelievable odds. The working-class hero would be placed in the stickiest of wickets on a weekly and monthly basis, seemingly with no hope of victory, before always finding a way to outwit McMahon, only endearing him more to the fans for his cunning on top of his never-say-die attitude. And make no mistake about it, the fans were the real winners. WCW opposed the WWF in their time slot, and Ted Turner's WCW, under Eric Bischoff's supervision, had been beating the WWF in the ratings for a sustained period, with 83 consecutive ratings wins to the company's name. Throughout 1998, Raw and Nitro would trade wins back and forth as the tide began to turn. Wrestling was at its absolute hottest, and fans of both companies had a thrilling 1998. However, Fans were tiring of the New World Order storyline in WCW, which had been running for two years at this point, largely at the expense of the creation of new main event talent. The 26th of October 1998 marked the last time World Championship Wrestling would ever beat the World Wrestling Federation in the ratings, and it was thanks in no small part to the unprecedented popularity of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mr. McMahon, meanwhile, would find the corporate champion he wanted in the form of The Rock, which only further earned the charismatic rising star the further ire of Austin. In one of the most incredible moments in the history of the industry, the stars aligned perfectly, as on the January 4th, 1999 edition of Raw, Mankind challenged The Rock in a no-disqualification match for the WWF Championship. As D-Generation X, aligned with Mankind, brawled at ringside with the rest of McMahon's own stable, the Corporation, Stone Cold's music would hit to what is believed to be the loudest crowd reaction in wrestling history. Austin would arrive, hit the ring, smash the rock in the face with a steel chair, and drape Mankind's prone body over the rocks, allowing Mankind to pick up the three count and become WWF Champion. Austin would continue to feud with McMahon's Corporation and Triple H for much of 1999, Ultimately, however, his injuries were catching up with him. His broken neck was beginning to nag and ran the risk of ending his career if he didn't take time off for surgery. Austin didn't wish to lose his spot on the match card, but in truth, this was never in danger of happening due to his enormous popularity. Neck surgery was the only sensible option. To write Austin off of WWF television, at Survivor Series, he was booked in a triple threat match against Triple H and The Rock, but the match would become a singles contest when Austin was run over by a mystery assailant. Austin would be off television for much of the following year, with The Rock stepping into his spot as the top babyface in the company. Austin appeared at April 2000's Backlash to assist The Rock against Mr. McMahon and Triple H, though this was only a one-off appearance. In addition, due to the difficulties of his rehab, Austin had struggled to maintain his physique while away from the ring, and was noticeably out of shape. That said, you'd never know it if you didn't catch Backlash, as that September, Austin returned from injury looking every bit the imposing figure he had the year before. The Mystery Assailant storyline was picked up in time for Austin's return, wherein Mick Foley learned the man behind the wheel was Rikishi. 
The storyline became a complete and total mess almost instantly, as Austin's pay-per-view clash with Rikishi at No Mercy 2000 all but buried Rikishi, undoing all the work put into building him up as a threat. Austin got his revenge on Rikishi, but it had come a little too easily, and the fans no longer bought Rikishi as a credible opponent for Austin. The storyline then switched gears, revealing Triple H had masterminded the attack on Austin the year prior. The ensuing feud did very little for either man, and Austin would later claim the entire debacle was the worst storyline he was ever involved in, presumably due to the meandering nature and the fact it managed to do damage to the credibility of three performers. Mercifully, the end of the storyline was a three stages of hell match at No Way Out 2001. Austin had won the 2001 Royal Rumble the month prior in one of the most beloved Royal Rumble matches of them all. He was on his way to WrestleMania, where he would challenge The Rock for the WWF Championship. WrestleMania 17 took place on April 1st, 2001, and it's considered by many wrestling historians to be the greatest professional wrestling supercard of all time. Certainly the greatest WWE supercard of all time. The card was headed by a main event pitting Austin against The Rock, an encounter with three years of emotion behind it. Widely considered one of the greatest matches in WWE history, if not the greatest, the conclusion of the match and the pay-per-view is what fans generally see as the grand finale of the Attitude Era, with Austin aligning himself with Mr. McMahon to turn heel and win the WWF Championship. In the wake of the Attitude Era and the WWF's purchase of WCW, the post-war period was a year-long epilogue to the company's hottest time, the Monday Night Wars. Now fully villainous, Austin joined forces with Triple H to form the two-man power trip and annihilated anyone they felt like. During this time, Austin's character evolved into a paranoid prima donna who'd routinely complain about not receiving respect. His alliance with Vince McMahon turned into a bizarre infatuation, with Austin almost acting like a needy child that constantly required Vince's approval. Today, Austin isn't fond of this period of his career, but fans often remark that this iteration of the Austin character was a fascinating change, and allowed Austin to showcase his incredible comic chops. The two-man power trip was forced to disband when Triple H suffered a quadriceps tear in a match pitting himself and Austin against Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. The infamous Invasion storyline took up much of the rest of 2001, with Mr. McMahon trying to appeal to Austin to bring back the old Stone Cold to help lead the WWF to victory over the alliance of WCW and ECW talent that had, in storyline at least, invaded their company. However, Austin cemented his villainy by helping the WCW-ECW team to victory at the Invasion pay-per-view and then became a figurehead for the Alliance, once claiming that Vince McMahon is the devil. At Survivor Series 2001, Austin led a team of five Alliance superstars against a team of five WWF superstars in a Survivor Series elimination match to determine the fate of both sides and, in particular, the WWF. Ultimately, the final fall of the match came with The Rock pinning Austin after Kurt Angle revealed himself to be a mole planted by Team WWF. The following night on Raw, Austin attacked Angle and McMahon. By that point, because of Kurt and McMahon's sneering behaviour all night, this made Austin a babyface once more, and the fans were glad to have their hero back. 
The next few months saw Austin dance variously with The Rock, Chris Jericho and Kurt Angle, culminating in a one-night tournament to crown an undisputed world champion at Vengeance 2001. Austin's 2001 pay-per-view run ended against Jericho in the main event, with Jericho walking out the victor. Austin's 2002 began with him lasting to the final four in the Royal Rumble, before being eliminated by Kurt Angle, who Austin would later defeat to earn a shot at Chris Jericho's undisputed championship at No Way Out 2001. On the build-up to the event, Mr. McMahon signed the New World Order to the WWF. Austin would disrespect the NWO, and they, in turn, would cost him his match against Jericho. This came to a head on the road to WrestleMania 18, where Austin would clash regularly with the NWO trio of Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash. Backstage, a match was proposed to pit Austin against Hogan. Neither man was particularly keen on losing to the other, and Austin had no desire to work a slower-paced match to suit Hogan. In the end, Hogan was pitted against The Rock, and Austin would face and defeat Scott Hall at WrestleMania 18. Which brings us to the beginning of our timeline. By this point, frustration was beginning to build in Austin. He confided in close friend and head of talent relations Jim Ross that he felt the storylines he'd been put in were making him look foolish. It would be around this time that Austin would express on WWF's web show Bite This that creative in the company had been, in his words, piss poor. Adding to this, Austin's neck and knee injuries were nagging at him. It became clear that his own body was a ticking clock. Austin was burned out both physically and mentally. As we've previously covered on this podcast, Austin didn't show up on Raw after WrestleMania and took a break from the company without consent. Vince McMahon claimed Austin's actions caused fury among fans who'd paid to see him that night. Hmm. The more things change, eh, 2022 fans? Today, we recognise Stone Cold Steve Austin as belonging to an upper echelon of wrestlers that transcend above the popularity of almost any other. His work in the Attitude Era in particular led the WWF to astonishing new heights and mainstream appeal unseen in the years since. But, as we'll be covering all too soon on our timeline, Austin's frustrations, physical pain and burnout weren't done hurting him yet. And they would all come to a head in a catastrophic fashion. That's all for today's show, guys. I want to once again thank my guest, Lewis Clark, for joining me. And don't forget you can find Lewis on Twitter at Kronkblatz, K-R-O-N-K-B-L-A-T-S. And don't forget to check out The Bagard Cast and Cast Iron, his own podcasts about wrestling and music, respectively. And don't forget you can catch Lewis on our first Patreon-exclusive episode over at patreon.com forward slash R-A-Relive, where tiers start from just £1, and £4 backers get instant access to our Patreon-exclusive episodes. But don't worry, if you uh, if you like bonuses, I'm a generous guy, I'll give you one for free! Our next two episodes are going to include a look at the history of women's wrestling in WWE, where I'll be joined by my good friend Victoria Smith, as well as coverage of the 9th of May 2002 edition of SmackDown, where John Blood and I will be taking a look at the debut of Batista. 
In the meantime, you can contact the show at the usual places on Twitter at RA Relived, via email ltruthlessaggression at gmail.com, or you can contact me directly on Twitter at ltdangerous. Send us your feedback, send us your comments, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. They really do help the show, and your feedback, of course, will get read out on future episodes. Until next time, guys, thank you once again so much for joining me. I've been LT Fletcher, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.